Greetings, Questa, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Hello, and welcome to episode 18 of the Meddlesome Meeples. We're back! Yay. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. Now, for regular viewers, you'll notice that we've not recorded and released the Medicine Meeples for a few weeks. Uh, just to give you a heads up, that was my fault because we, we cancelled a recording because I was ill. Um, and then. Yeah, how dare you! And then on top of that, we did try and record last week. Yep, and unfortunately, doing a, sh- a podcast with no electricity is somewhat boring. No, 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 it was great. It. We enjoyed it, but we just couldn't record. We, we couldn't let you guys see it. And we just. There's no point just talking to each other without an audience. So. Well, no, we, it was fine. We just had a chat, which is basically a low tech podcast. So well, fine. yeah, yeah. It's just. It was It was kind of a podcast with, with two viewers. <laughs> yeah, two viewers. <laughs> yeah. You basically just had a chat. Basically, yeah. That is kind of a. Fine. That sums it up pretty well covered some important topics and no one will ever know no i mean we, we solved world peace <laughs> yeah we've forgotten now but yeah, yeah. if only could we could have remembered which was... next time we do that we write it down richard it was solved for a few minutes there yeah the whole problems of world peace so anyway um now we have we're recording an actual podcast for everybody yeah, yeah so thank you for watching and for caring just a little bit about our views about various subjects and board games and things. So, thank you for coming back. This week we've got another two uh, board games, both recently delivered uh, Kickstarters that I'd backed. Richard, tell us about those. One is Drawing Dead, which is a kind of a really cool kind of poker, and the other one is Dream Wars, which is an adventure cooperative game which we enjoyed very much. Richard's also going to be talking to us about Leviathan Wakes by oh, yeah. uh, James S.A. Corey, which is mm-hmm. base, the basis uh, for the Expanse TV series. Yes. Um, Heather? Mm, we'll be doing Bard's Corner. As usual, my, my bit doesn't really change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do talk about different bands and music each time, don't you? Yeah. Most okay. of the time. Most of yeah. the time. Uh, of course, this week we've got something special to bring you as well, which will be at the end of uh, the Medicine Meeple show. And special. That is an interview I recently did over the phone all the way from Arizona. Uh, Night oh, Rangers, yeah. Kelly Keegi. Wow. Singer, songwriter, drummer. Uh, and we talk about quite a number of things, including some fan-submitted questions. Uh, Night Rangers' uh, 12th studio album, Don't Let Up. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's Boogie really Nights. Good. Yeah, it was a really good interview. It was an mm. absolutely hilarious guy to talk to. It was very funny, uh, very humble as well. So it was. we had a really good good chat, so we've got that to look forward to. There's actually been a lot going on, hasn't there? Yeah. No wonder we couldn't yeah. do a podcast for a while. Since Too then, busy as having lives. Since then, as well. So <laughs> no. something. Yeah. <laughs> we were just doing the same stuff, but not like recording. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, we uh, interviewed Key Marcello, the ex Europe, ex Easy Action, and Key of Hearts uh, guitarist and songwriter and Rock of Ages star. So that will be in our next episode of the Medicine Meeple. So plenty, something to look forward to. So, Richard, what have you been up to lately? Oh, I forgot you were going to ask this. Oh, I always ask this. <laughs> you have to quick make up something cool. The questers won't know if it's true or not. Say something here. interesting. <laughs> actually, I've been around here a lot, actually. Yeah, we've been playing a lot, a lot more 
games than we've actually talked about in the quest yeah. report. So we've kind of got a little bit ahead with the games, which has been really fun to do. Um, yeah, and other than that, um, it's all been pretty normal, really. We're going to have to edit that bit out of me thinking about what I've been doing. <laughs> I'm but... too dull. No, 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 no. Didn't I order you to get a life? No, no, I have been. I have, it's I've been... one quote, by the way. It's not just me being mean. I have been spending time with friends, That's which good. has been okay. nice, which I don't normally... Normally, I'd have some kind of computer game to talk about or something yeah. like that, but mm. I've actually been going out and meeting people. people, yeah, and enjoying my life, basically. Falling into the trap of enjoying my life. Oh, well, you can't... That's it. That is a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. Um, why is that well, Scottish? Because we've kind of took a break from recording due to illness, it meant that we've... As Richard said, we've been able to play some more games. So we've like had an extra round of Mythos Tales, and we've played some other oh, games as fun. well. And yeah. that's all been been quite good, hasn't it? That we mm. didn't have a chance to do before. I've been watching. I started watching Star Trek Continues. Right. Yeah. So obviously we're going to be talking about Star Trek Discovery later, but that's that's a different thing. Star Trek Continues. If you haven't aren't familiar with it, it was a fan funded uh, project, uh, or crowd funded rather than fan funded. But I suppose fan funded would also explain it no some of the people that funded it weren't fans no <laughs> they hated it <laughs> yeah they hated star trek um but star trek continues is basically a continuation of the five-year mission from the original series so the characters are kirk spock sulu scotty her etc uh one of the things i really liked about it was that the guy they've got to play um scotty is james doohan's son christopher mm. I know that um, he actually sounds a lot like Scotty because he did the voice in Star Trek Online as well. When you yes. go back in time and meet Scotty. Yes, he does. Yeah. And uh, like Marina Sirtis, um, who in The Next Generation played Councillor Deanna Troy, she's the voice of the computer. And also she played the goddess of empathy in uh, in Barclay's holodeck programs. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's quite a few nice throwbacks to the different Star Trek series and uh, Sulu's played by Grant Imahara from Mythbusters, which is always fun. <laughs> oh, cool. You know, uh, and actually in the first episode as well, it's only briefly, but you see um, uh, James Jamie Barber who plays uh, Leah Dharma in the new Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so there's, there's yeah, quite funny. a few interesting little bits in in the show as well. Did he so. quit and become a lawyer halfway through? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it's quite faithful to the idea and the concept of the original series, which I like. So I love know, the original series. The effects and everything. Yeah, I think if it was just a new show that yeah. no one based on nothing, you'd be like, these effects are so cheesy. Yeah. But because it's based on the original series, you just love it. Yeah. Well, you can either do it in the sixties with lots of money. Or modern times with, with hardly any money. Yeah. Yeah. The same results, basically. Yeah. What would be hilarious, though, is if they actually had to spend a lot of money to make those yeah. six effects. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> it would, actually, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I've been playing um, Star Wars, The Sith Lords, and I've been debating... Oh, no, don't... I've been debating... No more moral dilemmas. No more moral dilemmas this time. I'm no. quite happy with my choices. I've gone all Jedi. Um, you seem calmer. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's the tranquility of the Force. It's, uh, <laughs> the force it's a calming effect of my heart. <laughs> Jedi. Yeah, I went full Jedi. Um, Never do that. No. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's been good. And I've been debating growing a beard. Well, you actually started. I was going to say debating. <laughs> well, it's a little bit late for the debate stage. The beard appeared. Yeah. yeah. So there we are. Yeah, it's going quite well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah I've been hammering out walls in the house. Yeah, that's, that's not yeah. so good. No, that's what I've been doing all week, rocking back and forth in a corner with a blanket over my head, going no. <laughs> 
I was poorly. And well, that's I quite a stop full week. Him, that's a true story as well. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. No, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know how they had these interests. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh yeah, it's all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. That's our week. Let's get on with the show. Seriously, I was walking back and forth in a corner. <laughs> I don't really blame you. I mean, there was no no electricity for a little while, and. Uh, I yeah. had a cough. I was taking an inhaler. And there was only in the air. There, and I couldn't stop him. There was only what I could describe as moderate flooding. It's like, please, yeah. please stop it. Here, have some whiskey. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Also <gasps> a true story. You drugged me with whiskey to me. Also true. <laughs> Welcome to the Quest Report, and we are talking about Dream Wars, which is. Kind of a RPG type game, isn't it? But it's a little yeah. bit different to what we have previously talked about. I think if you if you enjoy RPGs, if you are maybe a Descent player, hmm. then this is probably something that's going to be right up your alley because it's uh, got a different feel and look to it. If you're in, if you dislike the Lovecraft theme as well, but you like some of the Lovecraft games, yeah, I think it, this again is going to be just a ticket for you. It's kind of steampunk, isn't it? Yeah, it's very unique in that sense because we personally, I love a bit of steampunk. I love a bit, a moderate amount. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we love steampunk to the appropriate degree. Yeah, um, and that really does come through. This, it's kind of like a steampunk fantasy um, Lovecraftian mesh, isn't it? Really. Hmm. But it uses quite a lot of um, similar mechanics to something like Descent. Yes, because it's kind of a campaign, isn't it? Um, yeah. You have, well, I was going to say missions or something, but they're actually called ordeals. Yeah. <laughs> you go through ordeals in this game, which... Which know. is going to appeal to some people in our society, I think. You know? <laughs> I, I think so. Do you yeah. want to play an ordeal with me tonight? You know? <laughs> yeah. uh, basically, with this, it does use a similar sort of campaign system to probably not so much Descent as Imperial Assault, because in Imperial Assault, if you uh, play a, a scenario, whether you win or fail dictates the next scenario you move on to. Oh no, so it's like a choose-your-own-adventure, but it's yeah. just whether you die or not. And it's the same in this. If you mm. play a scenario and you win, you move on to the next. If you play a scenario and you lose, you still move on to the next. It just d- 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 changes which scenario you go to. Did we win? We won. Yeah, we won. I seem to remember us winning. It was a little while ago that we played this now, and I wasn't feeling all that well that day. Mm. But I still loved the game, yeah. and I, I think that is quite a—that's a, a testimony to the game. I want to come straight out and say this: this is one of the m- most gorgeous boards I've played on. Yes, it is a massive map, isn't it? Mm. And the map is broke down to different symbols, and we'll throw a picture up on our Instagram page uh, for you to have a look at. But the map itself is just a fantastic piece of artwork. And you've got, uh, it's broken up into your different regions, different Mm. cities, different um, maybe monuments shown on the map. And you're moving your uh, piece around the different squares to go to the different sections and do things. The scale is very zoomed out, isn't it? Yeah, rather than something like Arkham Horror, which is zoomed into one particular city. This is zoomed out across a a wide area. Mm. Um, And as you're moving around the map, you've got different types of locations because you've got trading locations which could be either sort of like common trading for common items tech items yeah like places in the city mostly yeah. like a city with lots of trading locations 
and then you might go to somewhere else and you've got a healing location. Mm. When you're out in the wilderness uh, and you found a shrine, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Places where you can go and get Kantichi songs. Uh, places where Kantichi. You... That's a word to remember in this. And also there's locations because there's two decks of cards. You've got the City Intrigues cut deck mm-hmm. and the Outland Mysteries deck. So when you're in a city, if you land on a certain square, you draw a card, which might be a challenge or something, some sort of opportunity, but something that, that's quite interesting, like an event card. Mm-hmm. And then if you're, there are locations outside of the towns and cities where you land on, and there are these outland mystery cards, which again, you draw it and something might happen. And it's quite exciting because you don't... Mm. I, but it does give you that kind of RPG feel as you're moving around the board. Yeah, it's like uh, random encounters, isn't it, really? But they're not yeah. all fighting monsters. It and, can be weird things happening. And you're exploring these maps, mm. and there are different portal locations as well, depending, yeah. which will affect, you know, depending on the kind of mission you go. Because very much like uh, something like Eldritch Horror and a lot of other games, you draw, basically, a villain, um, and that will dictate what ordeals you do, what missions you go on, and also uh, it'll affect the some of the cards that you draw, it'll affect the enemies Yeah, which uh, enemies appear. So each one has its own deck, don't it? Of, each of one enemies. has its own deck. Yeah. So it does it very much, your entire game is going to depend on which enemy you choose. Now you can choose one, mm-hmm. and some of them are more difficult than others. Uh, but also you can, like we did, you can randomly draw and pick one, uh, which is what we, which is what we did, and I think sometimes, it, particularly if you're new to the game, that's probably going to be the best option. You take out maybe the the extra difficult one. Yeah, take out the worst ones, <laughs> and then just draw one of the other ones. Because until that, until you've played it, you're not really going to know what kind of decks do what and what villains do what. So you may as well just draw one at random. Um, and I really enjoyed this game. Hmm. So, yeah, we had our own little character sheets, didn't we? Which were quite mm-hmm. small, these little cards. And we had uh, various stats on it. We So we did it where we dealt out two random ones to each yeah. of us. And then we could pick which ones we were going to have. There was... I really wanted to be this dwarf. This dwarf had, like, a metal arm and he was smoking <laughs> a pipe. He looked really cool. But... Um, just from the ones that Matt and Heather chose, I just really thought I should be this pirate instead. So I was Leanna Stern, the Sky Pirate, because she had the two kind of Kantichi things. So she could have two of those mm. Kantichi cards, which are basically, I would say, light spells, but they're like music. So it's that's a bit of a unique feature of this, right? just part of the aesthetic, really. So I had these cards i can't remember if i used one but i had them there you did, if I needed you did them. use them a few times Good, yeah. yeah and they i were, was in a delirious state they were always <laughs> quite interesting yeah you were you had man flu at the time yeah um i got to play a character called eogar the headhunter now he was a wild kin fighter he, and he looks he, like the guy from from uh what's it twilight imperium yeah. <laughs> basically he's like a like a lion-like barbarian warrior he's cool. who's pretty cool and so the way the characters are built in this are quite interesting because you have your uh, various skills. So my guy, for example, had no Kantichi skills, no tech skills, but he did have very good skill skill levels and very good melee skills. Now, in this, if you want to start a combat, unless you're, you've got like a particular weapon or something you're using, you're just using your melee skill. Yeah. And any kind of and you get different tests to do during the game. And these work very much like the descent tests, mm. uh, which is you have a stat, 
you roll and you're looking for that stat or lower to pass. <laughs> okay, so for my guy on a six-sided die, I'm rolling to looking for a four or less for a melee attack, and for certain skills, three or less to pass. But again, I quite like that kind of mechanic. Um, and then I get a health, a movement skill on there. I get uh, stats to tell me I can carry four common items, or I can carry uh, three cantici—not uh, three cantici, but um, three of the like special cards that you get in there. Mm. Um, and then, as well as that, you've got certain skills. Now, this again is quite interesting because each character will have some skills on the right-hand side column of their character card, and those are different abilities that they can use once they meet certain requirement. Yeah, so it's got like a, a lock symbol on one side, which is basically the condition you need to be in to be able yeah. to use it. Like, my first one says you have no dream shards left, so if I didn't have any, then the other side, an open padlock is like what you can do yeah. in that situation. It says you can test your skill to draw the first dream shard in the appropriate discard pile. So that's the kind of thing. Mine is. was more combat based because, for example, kill five nemesis with melee attacks. I could then choose a nemesis in play and re-roll any failed attack against it. So you know these are quite interesting. What you can what you can do. Um, again, beautiful artwork on the cards. Hmm? Yeah, really love the steampunk type art. And also because this was a Kickstarter from Royal Art Games, I got the uh, the full the full whack on the Kickstarter. So I got. A load of uh, really nice bookmarks that came with it as well. We got the art book, which had some really nice artwork. Oh, and yeah, showed some of the different stages yeah. of development of the artwork. So that helped me to appreciate that as well. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I can't recommend the artwork in this game enough. It is beautiful to look at. Yeah, even the if you map. don't have the Kickstarter, you yeah. can enjoy all the artwork that's actually on the game. The artwork that's in the map, that's in the different cards, etc., is yeah. fantastic. So it you'll is. get that even at retail. Um I really like the way it played. I like the mechanics, the way it worked. And we, for our mission, we had to travel from one side of the map to the other, and then um, fight enemies inside the city to try and yes. search for some missing individuals. Yeah, that was what it was. Once it? it wasn't the Burgermaster or something. Yeah, yeah, Burgermaster. we had to find him. Yeah, so we started out in a city over on the right side of the map, over on the east, and we. Um, Looking back, we should have stayed in there a little bit longer. And, and done like, some trading. Done some trading, but we got were just some weapons. eager to get out the door, weren't we? I know. We, we just basically kicked down the door of the city <laughs> and went straight out into the wilderness. <laughs> um, had to use melee attacks on things because we didn't have any weapons. And But, you know, it, it went really well. And um, we when we got to this other city, which was over on the left side of the map, um, by that time, quite a few monsters had spawned, hadn't they? So mm. there was little monsters... Well some of them were quite big there were some monsters going around they were kind of chasing us a bit but when we got to that other city we had to keep kind of making these attempts to try and find mm. like clues didn't we and if we failed we got kicked out of the city again and that meant us getting attacked because there were a lot of monsters out there waiting for us and that bit was really fun because yeah. like uh, I think Matt was outside trying to uh, to fight some of these things I was I kept going back into the city to try and uh, search for this guy, but ended up back out in the battle. Um, I can't remember what Heather was doing. She was the robot guy, wasn't she? Yeah, she, she was. She was helping basically me and I was fighting, going into the city to clues, and then moving back out to fight. Yeah. Heather was sort of cutting a path through the the villains, and yeah. you were focusing on 
trying to complete the objective. And it worked really well doing it that way. Mm. So that, uh, you know, because you get the villains, the nemesis creatures are going to spawn on a regular basis. So you've got to keep them down or you'll get overwhelmed by them. Mm. Um, and that was... So it was it was quite good to sort of split up like that and go in different directions at, yeah. at that point around the city. Yeah. I would be interested in trying some of the other ordeals because obviously this was like a kind of a starting one in a way. But... Uh, or it was our first anyway, but um, yeah, some of these seem quite complex, and I just think it could be interesting to have to do more objectives around more of the map. Yeah, yeah, and it introduces some unique mechanics each different scenario as well, so mm. that it's never going to be the same thing. In fact, uh, according to the makers of this game, there's over four hundred hours of content without replaying. That is a lot of Tuesdays. That is a lot of Tuesdays. So that will keep us going for a while. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of dice that come with this. There's also a couple of expansions that you can get, like the Adventurer's Kit and Horror Hunters, uh, that adds even more content to the game. Mm. So all in all, this is a very beautiful game to play. It plays well. It's got some really good mechanics. This one definitely gets a recommendation from me. Yes, and... I would just like to say that I love these kind of cooperative adventure mm. games. Um, we have a few that we like to play kind of on a regular basis um, because I just like it a lot better than trying to defeat your friends at different yeah. things. It's nice to uh, it's to be the three of us against the, the game or if anybody else plays with us as well. Um, so it's so nice to have one that has that kind of teamwork but is a kind of completely different mechanic and just a different way of of playing so it's nice to have one that's not just a copy of other ones with like different um different artwork and mm. stuff and in a different setting it's nice to have one that actually does feel like it plays differently so yeah i'm looking forward to doing some more ordeals on this i did have one negative about the game mm -hmm. and this is me being a little bit finicky but i think for other people it may be more or less of an issue. Can we put up a finicky warning before you say it? Yeah, hashtag finicky. <laughs> and that was to do, as, as I said, the map is absolutely gorgeous. But the markings that show different territories in certain lights, because it's almost like they've taken a background so that you can get the, the full splendour of the map. But the lines that mark out which space is what... They're like dotted lines, aren't they? Yeah, and in certain lights, from certain angles, it can be quite difficult to tell which space is connected to which. Mm. Um, uh, that is partly a lighting issue, partly that it's not very... The lines aren't very strong, strongly appearing on the map. But if they were, I think it would have spoilt the look of the map, so I didn't mm. really mind. Yeah, I've... It just meant that I kind of had to like lean over and, and try and, and sometimes move a little bit just to mm. see get a better angle to see the map from yeah well some of the some of the, the corners were a bit, a bit difficult to see which bit was in which little uh, space wasn't it because it was more i think where a one corner met several yeah that's it yeah some yeah, of them were like little crossroads some were easier to tell but mm. it was all the, like the, some of the little angled bits on the map and and things that yeah. made it more difficult to see one of the things I liked about the spaces on the map was the fact that they were all different sizes. Yeah. So you didn't have to have any kind of mechanic about, oh, it's harder to go across mountains than it is across fields, mm. or the forest makes it more difficult, because 
if the terrain's difficult, basically the squares will just be smaller. It takes you more movement turns mm. to get across it. And if, if you, you get follow the road, road... Yeah, the yeah. road <laughs> the road is a long, thin square. So you're just like, I'm there, woo, and I'm in another place. So, yeah, I thought that was that was quite good. But, it was yeah. very nicely done, that mechanic. It was, yeah. But I see what you mean, yeah, the, the spaces were a little bit difficult to see where they actually mm. were sometimes, but... Yeah, obviously that's not a massive deal, is it? No, not, not when at the all. map is so beautiful. I would so, much yeah. rather have the map, and as I say, the map is so good. If 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 I ever played through all four hundred odd hours content of this, mm. I would probably frame the map at the end. It's that nice. Yeah. So in a few years, when we've done <laughs> everything that's in this game, we'll frame the board. There you go. So this one gets a meeple recommendation. That's Dream Wars by Royal Art Games. <laughs> And on this quest report, we're going to be looking at a recently delivered Kickstarter, Drawing Dead. Now, Drawing Dead is kind of like a what's termed a weird west. Is it? Like a yeah, when you've got like a wild west theme, but you kind of put a like a weird spin on it. Is like, that like um, what's it? The Dark Tower books with the gunslinger in the fantasy world. I suppose world. that would probably uh, some people would put that under That's Weird prob- West. Probably the original because the book was like from the seventies, so. But no, board game style, drawing dead. Yeah, definitely Weird West. But this is a Weird West game. Now, in in this, it's basically a take on poker. Um, The idea of the game is that you are cursed to ever walk the land and you've got to um, win this poker game so that you can finally let your soul go to rest. Well, okay. that, that sounds weird. It's, I can see why it's, it's weird, West. It's uplifting, really, yeah. is what it is. Actually, yeah, we've played this a few times, and uh, I'd forgotten that thing about what we were doing. <laughs> I just I just see it as this uh, really cool version of poker that we kept doing. And that really is what it is. The mm. theme is not really in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing strange or weird about this game at all, but it <laughs> is still a Weird West game. But it is really just a variant of poker. But it's more... I mean, I've played poker before. I, I, I really enjoy playing Texas Hold'em. But this, to me, beats poker every time. There are variant differences to this in normal poker. Because in poker, generally, you don't have your hand out on display for everyone to see. You play it for souls. No. Either. And you don't play... Well, sometimes you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Depends how into it you are. <laughs> Depends how wasted you are on a Saturday night. Uh, which is not something I've ever done. Um, but mm. this game, you've got your... You have... You're trying to build a poker hand in front of you, but you've got your other secret cards in your stash which you can play to your hand. Now, you're going to have two types of cards in this. There are your poker cards, which is basically just a normal deck, but with nice artwork. These guys. And then you've got what's called roll cards. Now, these roll cards are all different characters that you're supposedly meeting in this setting. So they all And they all give you a special ability. So you play a card... To do a thing. So, for example, <laughs> you ordinarily, instead of just going around the table placing bets, you put in. There's a communal pot that starts off with five, and whenever you play a card from your hand, a poker card, then you pay a, a, pay a chip into that pot. Mm. And so then, it builds up automatically, doesn't it? Yeah. And then once you've got your five cards in front of you, if you want to play another card to replace one of the five cards that's there, you play play your new card, discard your old card, and play another chip. So yeah. that pot will build up and up over time. You can do as much as as many of these things as you want. Yeah. But you can play as many roll cards as you want during your turn. You can put down as many 
poker cards to your hand as you want, as long as you can pay the chips. Mm. Um, then it's basically once you're done, yeah. it goes on to the next person. But there's a cleanup at the end where you yeah. discard any that are over, and your hand has to be five cards by the end. Of yeah, that. you can have five cards in your hand, stash, which sorry. is called your stash, just and stash. five cards in front of you, which, which is, is your, your hand. hand. Yeah. That's why it's confusing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's basically, for setup, it's very simple because you're just shuffling and putting your cards out. Um, each player starts off with 15 chips. Each player starts off with two poker cards and a roll card. And then on your turn, you draw two poker cards and one roll card. And then for your second step of your turn, you can play a roll card for free. Um, you can play a poker card, which you pay for. And then if your card is the best poker hand, then you get to claim the button. Yeah. Now, the reason that's important, some of the roll cards will allow you to do different things. They'll say if you've got the roll card, you can steal half the stash in front of you. Or I did that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that this is significant, if you hold this and it comes back to your round, back to your turn without anyone taking it from you, you've won that round. So you get to take the stash. And then at that point, you can check if you've got 40 chips and you're the one with the most, mm-hmm. then you win that round. So, you know, it's, well, you win that game, rather, if you've got the, the 40. Yeah, so yeah. So it is really yeah. interesting. But some of these, it's these roll cards that really make it better than poker to me. Mm-hmm. Because there are cards that, you know, like Ricky Love, cards you play are free this turn, gain a chip for each card, heart card that you play. Ricky Love kept turning up in my hand. It was got embarrassing. It's like... I'm just constantly playing the Ricky Love card. Yeah. You know, just to get rid of him, basically. There's the Shifty Sisters, which is called a bad guy card, which is usually yeah. means it does something to somebody else. Mm. You choose a player and look at their stash. You can steal a poker card from them and trash a poker card. Baron Von Doom, each other player trashes an up card of their choice. If you've played another bad guy card this turn, put those cards in your stash. The Gunslinger, trash any number of cards from your stash, trash that many up cards. Oh, the bad guys. Yeah, these are all the bad guys. The if outlaw. you've got the the outlaw, if you have the button, steal half the pot, uh, round it up. And the Dirty Cheat, steal any up card. The Desert Rose, draw three poker cards. I like playing the Dirty Cheat card when we're playing poker. Yeah. It just feels good. The Magic Man, draw a poker card for each of your Magic red up cards. Magic Man! Uh, <laughs> <From> Adventure Time. <laughs> Ace Rogers was one that we used quite a bit because it was very powerful. When you play this when you play this choose one of your up cards treat this card as a copy of that card and then that whether you lose the original one that you've copied or not this will stay as that basically so, make any amazing poker if you've got that and the joker one because the joker can be a wild card you can make really cool hands quite yeah, easily can't you because then you can uh, very easily copy because uh, you can make the wild card the best card available because the, the wild card will become Whatever card makes the best card, the uh, best poker hand mm-hmm. that it, that's possible. Uh, and if you've not played poker before, you don't have to worry because on the back of this, it actually teaches you your poker hand rankings. So it will teach you, you know, what a royal flush is, what a straight flush is, what uh, a full house is, a three of a kind, which is quite self-explanatory. But some of these are, are quite explanatory, like a pair, two pair, high card, uh, three of a kind are all pretty self-explanatory four of a kind is but some of the others if you've not played poker before you will need some sort of reference but you can get that from this and what we did before as well was we because uh, my wife hasn't played poker before she we put up um, on the screen just a list as well so that you can look at that without necessarily needing to look at the back of the rule book mm. uh, but it's a very straightforward game to learn isn't it yeah well 
Yeah, you have to kind of, in your head, stop comparing it to poker because it's like, not what well, I mean, obviously, it's a big comparison, but you have to kind of forget that while you're learning the rules because it is kind of different because you're not keeping your hand secret. Anyway, mm. you're putting that out on the table so everyone can see. You can see, you kind of see the hand that other people are building. Yeah. Um, but You yeah. can keep it secret in the sense that what I did on a couple of uh, rounds, rather than playing cards in front of me to build up a hand, Build them up in your I hand. was building them up in my stash so no one could see it, and mm. then I'd pay to put all five out in one go. Yeah, and then I had roll cards to steal them. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> and that but that was quite good because then you can still hide that. And there are things as well like Nina nails, and there's others that will uh, you can play the sheriff card that allows you to stop another roll card, so you can get, stop a bad guy from stealing from you. <laughs> I once kept that for ages, just waiting, just until somebody did something terrible with a roll card, so I could use it. But, yeah. And they are the roll cards are really what make the game because they are interesting to play. They do bring a different dynamic to what is essentially just a normal poker game. Mm. And without those, it would just be playing poker. But these elevate it to a different standard, and it's what make to me makes me think if I was given the choice to play drawing dead or poker, I'd choose drawing dead every time. Yeah, I would. It does feel more like an actual game mm. than poker. I mean, I I have played it with some of my friends for pogs before which was a bit odd but it was it was that was kind of fun uh obviously i i, I don't really like i've never gambled so we have um we just had a load of pogs it, it, this is like ages after the age of pogs but um, we just used them as chips and there's whoever had the most at the end wins and i was absolutely terrible i never had any pogs and um but i enjoy um like all the hands and everything mm. and like learning what beats what i think that bit's really good but i just can't get the hang of the like when to call and when to raise and when to fold and not going Woo-hoo! when you've got a good <laughs> hand things like that but um but this basically it had all the fun aspects of poker i felt like we were being quite cool the way we were just kind of putting cars down and putting a chip in the middle it, feel, it feels like the cool game of poker yeah. but um it flowed a lot better i thought yeah and because of the roll cards it meant that you could steal other people's cards you were playing cards to get extra cards there was a lot that you could do there was a lot of options uh because you were getting the roll cards every turn mm-hmm. and combining them could be, make for some quite powerful strategies. Yeah, you can do some like, pretty good chains. Yeah. For example, at one point I had a couple of cards that I knew would allow me to do uh, there were bad guy cards that would allow me to do things to other players. Yeah, extra bad. Um, so I'd play one f- at first that I didn't really want to do to get other people to play their stop cards mm-hmm. uh, to stop me from doing it so that then I could play my next bad guy card and they had no defence. You know, things like that were fun. Um and it was just a, a, a fun variant on it. And I would say that, it, as you say, it was smoother, it was faster uh, than that. The artwork, if you're not into Wild West, it is a bit macabre, it but nothing... Like that festival they have in Mexico, is it? Or no, not, I can't remember where they have it. Where, the one that's on Spectre, anyway, on James Bond, where yeah. they've all got school face paints on. Yeah. It, it just basically is that. I think you know the Festival of the Dead? Yeah. Dia de los Muertos. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. I've got most of these have got like white face paint on them on the cards, so they are a bit macabre. But if that's not going to bother you, then it's. I don't think you'll quite enjoy that. The actual deck of cards as well have, have some funky, uh, funkier artwork than a normal deck. I mean, like the Joker's 
a wild. It's got a, a skull with a jester hat on oh, it. And skull. Some of the other royal cars, like Spooky. the Queen, Jack, Queen, King, have got crowns on them and things. And they just they look cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, just normal cars. That's one of the nice things about it that you have just got a full deck of normal playing cards to play it. But they are kind of themed. Do you feel like Weird West? Yeah. Which is a term I've learnt this podcast. And if if anything happened to your uh, poker cards from here, you could just replace them with a normal deck. Mm-hmm. I mean, we the, you get the little like cardboard chips in this. We didn't actually bother with those because I've got some proper poker chips. Yeah, we so use we just, chips. Just use those instead. They kind of clatter nicely when you put them in the middle. <laughs> yeah, make for a nice little pile. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend this as a fun alternative to poker. And if you like poker, I think this will definitely you will enjoy this more than poker. Play it responsibly. Don't lose all your souls. Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show. The Meeple's Alive! And welcome to this Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. Now, this week, we're not going to be doing one of our big mashups. We're not oh. going to be doing a, a big versus topic. There's no question mark on the title, anyway. There is not. Um, this week, we're just going to be presenting our opinion of our first impressions, perhaps, of Star Trek Discovery. Now, I thought this question was just going to be, Star Trek Discovery! <laughs> That, that's the title of this big Star talk. Trek Discovery? Yeah. <laughs> Discovery. Star Trek. <laughs> so, yeah. now, Basically, there's a new Star Trek. Yes, and if you've not uh, been that uh, that familiar with us before, you'll have noticed that we both are big fans of Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> um, so, and Stargate and most things with Star in the title. Most things. Most things. I was so happy that they brought out a new series of Star Trek. That is cool. I was really looking well forward done, to a people. new series of Whoever Star Trek. Whoever the hell did it. But I had a different reaction to Richard. Um, and I was talking about like when I suddenly realised it's out tomorrow because it <laughs> kind of suddenly came up on my Netflix. I was when because I knew they were going to make a new series of Star mm. Trek because obviously we found out a few years before. And I thought. Oh, that's going to be so great, but they're going to kind of stream it on, I think it was a CBS, yeah. having their own streaming service and everything. So I thought, I'm going to have to kind of set up one of those like, when it comes out, because I thought that's definitely going to be worth it, because I want to see whatever the new Star Trek is. But then it just suddenly came up on my Netflix, like, it's on here, like, yeah. every week. So I was like, yes, because I already watch Netflix all the time anyway. It's kind of strange though, isn't it? Because if you're in America, you need a CBS subscription. Mm. Um but here, because we're not in America, we get it on Netflix. Hello. That's <laughs> sweet. Um, but my reaction was a little bit different, because w- when I first heard there was going to be a new Star Trek series, obviously at first I was like, yeah, new Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But then I thought, oh, going to the past again? Because I wanted them to do something set after the Dominion War, sort of from yeah. the end of DS9. It's what you call the past. Yes. Everybody else and the, sta- the time-space continuum calls it the future. Yes. I, yeah, but you know what I mean? It's in a Star Trek... Uh, universe that is now the, obviously the Kelvin timeline. Actually, I found out recently it's actually the Prime timeline. I thought it was really? Kelvin. Yeah, it looks very Kelvinish, but apparently no, it's uh, it's Prime. Oh, so I there's did going not know to that. be no R- Romulans that we see. Apparently, Romulans are kind of a sore point with the writers. <laughs> they, it starts. Nobody's allowed to mention Romulans in the writers' room because it starts arguments. That's what I've heard anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing is, I kind of, as I say, I, I really wanted them to go, because we've got so much established timeline in Star Trek. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted them to sort of take that forward from the point of 
you know, um, Deep Space Nine and, and Voyager returning to the Alpha Quadrant. And because there's so much I think that they could do there. I mean, with the, the, the Cardassian Union rebuilding, as well as the Federation and the uh, Klingons and everyone else at the end of the Dominion War, I feel like there's so much scope for a new series there. And perhaps uh, exploration into the Delta Quadrant, the Gamma Quadrant. Mm. You know, there's so much that they could have done. I just thought, we're we going back again. Um, and the problem is, is that I think inherently when you go back like that, you put in roadblocks in front of yourself mm. because you kind of, every time you think, well, we could write this, but it doesn't agree with the existing, you know, timeline continuum. There yeah. are going to be those people that say, well, it doesn't matter. Let's just go, go with it. Because uh, it will be good for the story, and then you've got other people going, but this isn't what it's established, and you're kind of throwing up objections that if you just gone into the future, wouldn't have been there. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of put in unnecessarily problems in place for yourself to work around, and also when I, it actually started and the Klingons came on, I was like, what the heck have they done with the Klingons? Uh, one friend of mine described it best when he said that it was like they'd. Um, you know, they decided to make them look like the drow from Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, you know, yeah. it kind of doesn't look Witnesses like... Witnesses in there. Yeah, it kind of didn't look <laughs> like Star Trek to Klingons me. look like the drow. But they did look more like some sort of, fan, you know, fantasy they race. They me a bit of the Dark Elves from Skyrim as well, but yeah. without the hair. But the drow yeah. are Dark Elves, so yeah. So, we're, you know, in agreement maybe on there's, that. Maybe there's several... Several people copying several people. Maybe Skyrim stole it from yeah. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah. I mean, the thing is, in Star Trek, the Klingons have changed several times now over the various it's series, the from the original thing. series to the next generation. You just change the, the Klingons, and, you know. Well, they can't just do something horrible to O'Brien anymore. They have to. <laughs> no. Maybe they went around to Cold Meanie <laughs> and let down his tires or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I wasn't particularly happy it was going to be set in the past. But I thought, I'll give it a chance. Um, there was a lots of sadness coming from this house. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were things that I thought were was going to be interesting. I wasn't quite convinced of. Like having a, a, a main like, character. Convince me. Yeah. But like having a main character. Star Trek have never really had a main character. It's always been the crew. And you get different stories that will follow different members of the crew. Whereas mm. this has got its main character. And it follows a more continuous storyline as opposed to the more episodic feels of, say, uh, The Next Generation. I don't know. I didn't really... Voyager. Uh, yeah. Yeah, when, when you were talking about that, I... Yeah, I, I can kind of see what you mean. It's but, like a continuous story arc. Well, basically, normally they have the main character being the captain, and this time they haven't. But I know what you mean. There's uh, From The Next Generation onwards... They they started doing like focusing this time it's like a Geordie story mm. this time it's a Data one um, more often than not though um, it does tend to focus on the captain quite a lot but this time yeah it's very much so far I'd say kind the next of next generation it probably focused on Data as much as it did on Picard to be honest it yeah was... it did well there's lots of interesting stuff you can do with Data's character yeah. but no it they did. Um, they realised that it wasn't working and that they had to 
start focusing on one character per episode, basically. But with an A story and a B story. Um, I don't think it. W- you can say it wasn't working. I mean, it worked so well across. Uh, no, this is just an interview so, I heard. Oh, right, they okay. said it. They said it wasn't. So that was their, so their, their view then. Yeah, yeah. It was becoming difficult to write because it seemed a bit weird just having it like an entire crew every episode. It worked back in the sixties, kind of. Well, obviously, in the sixties, you had Kirk, Spock, McCoy were the main characters. Yeah. And then later on, there was some that focused on Scotty or Chekhov or somebody. But um, yeah, well, it was more the later series, wasn't it? I say the Next Generation DS Nine that did that because then they they would have episodes with literally every member of the of the crew. And in DS 9s case, even members that weren't of the crew. So there was quite a few of. Uh, episodes that were Ferengi centric with oh yeah but they're um, all characters Quark, not, but they were recurring not, yeah recurring yeah. regular characters they don't have to have a Starfleet badge and mm. paycheck and fake non-existent money so <laughs> <laughs> kudos that's what they get yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it did work it did work well I mm. think perhaps they thought that maybe having a single uh, main character might make it easier to market single perhaps. female Starfleet <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Um, it seems a little bit like it's... I know it's different to this, but a little bit like the droids in Star Wars, that mm. they're the ones that seem to be narrating the story. Obviously, it's focused on um, Michael, what she's doing mm. at the moment. But I kind of imagine it um, turning into more of a... Uh, we've only watched six episodes so far, so I imagine it... Um, becoming more focusing on different characters as it goes later on, once the crew is a bit more established mm. and everything, because really we're in kind of the Klingon War story arc, which Michael had a role in starting I don't really agree with the other people on the ship, that I don't think she started it so much, I think it was no, going to start anyway I, I, don't, I don't blame her for that <laughs> No, no, but no I think it's she's easy. been all fairly maligned in, in that sense, and but what she reading the headlines, but what she did, yeah <laughs> it was all fake news, but what, <laughs> yeah. but what she did do, mm-hmm. um I mean, I'll come back to this in a, in a minute because I was going to say that one of the things about having episodes where it focuses on different members of the crew mm. that's good is that if you don't like a main character yeah, or if you don't like one character. So say, for example, in uh, The Next Generation, if you didn't like Riker, and mm-hmm. who didn't like Riker? But if you didn't like Riker, you'd be like, you all crazy. right, yeah, all right, I don't like Riker, but this is an episode about Geordie and I love Geordie. You know, it could be the ones about Beverly, and I love Beverly. You know, if you didn't like Riker, you could watch one about Barkley, who's like yeah. the opposite of Riker, <laughs> the anti-Riker. Yeah, you know. basically. Um, yeah, if they shook hands, the universe would explode. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So if you and whereas if you kind of have one main character, you kind of put in a lot of eggs into that basket because if if someone doesn't like that main character, then they're probably not going to like the rest of the show. Which is why you don't like that character, and you don't like the rest of the show. <laughs> Actually, my my views on the show changed. Probably around episode That's four. Good because you were getting annoying for a while, <laughs> <laughs> dude. Sorry, to, to, to the face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, okay. this, is this your knife in my back? <laughs> say it behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I'm not a fan of uh, Michael Burnham's character. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you, tell you why. I just find that in the first couple of episodes, um. I could understand they were trying to go for like a Spock level of emotionless, a Vulcan level of emotionless. Mm. But it just didn't sit with the character. I mean, Sonequa Martin-Green, who plays Michael Burnham, is a very good actress. You guys say what she was in. No. Uh, she's, she's been in other stuff before that I've watched. And, yeah. you know, in those, I genuinely cared about what happened to her. I didn't know who this actress was. I'd never seen you her know. or anything. And in this, 
I, I don't know, there was just something, it felt unlikable about the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps that's what they were going for, and she's gonna, we're going to see her becoming more human as time goes on. And I think that's what's happened over the slowly over the arc. She's started to act slightly more human, and as mm-hmm. that's happened, she's become slightly more likeable, I think, in, in a way. Right. Um, but like in, in episode two, we saw uh, effectively assaulting a captain and, and mut- committing mutiny. And then in the next episode, she's saying to uh, Captain Lorca that she's going to live and die by the principles of Starfleet. And yeah. that just didn't seem right to me. It was kind of an element of bad writing. But there are characters... Uh, in... That wasn't bad writing. She just, <laughs> she's been sitting in a cell for six months at that point. And uh, I mean, she she wanted to save her crew, which she mm. saw as being more important in that situation and mm. she made a bad decision but you know she wanted to take her medicine basically which is what I think that's in line with Starfleet ideals really but, yeah. she wanted to stay as a prisoner and serve her time yeah I, I mean, think you can say I, yeah, it's not logical I, can, I, just... I respect that yeah. I do respect that um, I did like Saru's character I loved Saru. When I first watched it, I thought, oh, oh, that tall alien who's scared of everything. I wasn't entirely sure about him at first, but it's probably more I like him when he's on the Discovery and not on the mm. uh, in in the in the pilot episodes. I did I think no it was objections. a shame that they killed off Michelle Yeoh's character because she was she was good and she was mm-hmm. interesting and she's a good actress. Um, so that was a shame, but. For me, I found I was watching several episodes and I literally didn't care about any of the characters. That changed over time. As I say, I find that... Why do you want to care about characters? They want a cool ship in space. Because I think you you kind of, to be emotionally invested, you kind of have to give a, give a damn whether a character's going to live or die in a given situation. Mm. But I just didn't feel like that at all. No, none of the characters mattered to me. But as time's gone on... As I say, I've sort of... Michael doesn't annoy me the way she did at first. So that's always a positive. Um, Tilly was the one that I start, first started to really like. Mm, well, she seems a lot more human than a lot of the others. I mean, in Star Trek in general, the humans aren't very human because no. they're kind of like um, some kind of post-scarcity, almost perfect ideal, examples of ideal uh, yeah. humans. So they, they seem a bit For example, early series, Julian Bashir. Mm. Uh, Beverly Crusher, you know these sort of characters would probably fit very well into what you've just said. Well, basically all of them. I mean, on DS Nine there was a, a massive difference between the human characters and the Ferengi. Uh, they, I mean, I've, I've heard it said like the Ferengi seem like the most human ones. There, yeah, you know, so I mean, very relatable. Yeah, yeah, that's it, and uh, everybody seems. A, Obviously, they're acting very well, but this seemed kind of almost wooden next to it because they're mm. having to play these roles. Obviously, mm. actually, O'Brien seems very human as well. Yeah. I, he's um, <laughs> ever since well, the next generation. Right, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he. Uh, I like that one in the Next Generation where he like doesn't think he hates Cardassians, <laughs> but he's been horrible to the Cardassians <laughs> all the time. That's, <laughs> that, that's very kind of human, mm. I think. Yeah, and um, but. Yeah, Tilly was the first one I thought was actually a, a you know the first glimmer of a likable character. That I quite liked Ash Tyler, mm. who we met in is it episode four? We met Ash Tyler. Yeah, so well, I, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I mean, to me, 
I'm just so sick of talking about characters and things, and um, and it's it's like characters are always the thing that you have to talk mm. about. Like when I did English literature and things like that, mm. and I just um, I like the ship, the settings, the adventure, all that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to say characters aren't important. It's just what matters to me in Star Trek is that I can kind of put myself there and want mm. to be there and be part of the adventure and everything and to me i i've always i really have been enjoying the the discovery episodes like on that level for the whole thing i know you've had very strong feelings about the characters right from the first episode and i just i couldn't even join in with you in the conversations or like argue in favor of them because i just wasn't bothered i mean you might as well ask me if i like the light switch or not i mean it's just (laughs) um so like the characters so why, are just there so doing why stuff. do people pay the cast so much if no one cares <laughs> I don't care they can do what they want but yeah um, I enjoyed the elements that they put into the pilot episode so I, I really enjoyed that um, Takuvma the unforgettable yeah yeah the, I like, Takuvma the easily forgettable <laughs> the, the Klingons were a bit weird but I I liked the Starfleet stuff more than the Klingon stuff because mm. the Klingon language has got a bit, a bit weird. Like it keeps starting and stopping. It's a bit difficult to listen to. But um, what what I liked was, and I know you didn't like this so much about Michael that she was uh, like emotionless and everything. Um, I just really liked the fact that they had a human that had learnt the Vulcan purging of emotions and stuff. I think that's something that I've wanted to see in a long time and I've always liked the idea of being able to do that. I mean, if ever I've like been upset or something, I just think, oh, I wish I was a Vulcan. And I just love the idea that they've had that now in Star Trek, more so than they did in Voyager when Harry Kim suddenly decided he wanted to be Vulcan and it lasted mm. like half an episode. But, um, yeah, just because the Vulcans aren't naturally emotionless. They well, with with Harry Kim, he was he'd been emotional all his life. He was in he love with a girl. To, <laughs> yeah, and then he just decided, I want to purge these emotions so I don't have to feel bad because I'm lovesick. It was so great that. Whereas Vul- with that Michael, Tifa was teaching him. So, yeah. She'd been raised from a young age to follow yeah. Vulcan philosophy. Which you now learn as kind of Salix experiment. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it kind of. The thing is, what's important to remember there is that Vulcans. I've only purged the showing of emotion. They still yeah. feel those emotions. They just try kind and of. hide them. I don't know. Um, I think they use meditation to purge them. They, they still have them, but they just won't yeah. feel them on the conscious level. So it is the same. It's not like they're just kind of bottling it up. I think Spock really encapsulated that because he had to his human emotion, human side to fight against as well. Mm. Um, and of course, for Michael, she is only she's fully human. She's not part of Vulcan. She's just had that training yeah I thought that was that was interesting but it kind mm. of somehow it came across in a more snobbish way to me than it did with Spock oh no the uh, Vulcans are snobs I won't yeah. argue with and you it, on that it kind of that, but that kind of came through very much strongly with I think um, with Michael whereas with Spock there was kind of like sometimes an aloof superiority a lot of the time actually never that um Quite the snobbishness. Yeah, he did show a lot of sass. He did. I was just going to say that. Like, if you watch the original series, like Spock seems to show disapproval a lot, and like, and just with an eyebrow. Yeah, well, two eyebrows sometimes. There's a lot where it ends with Spock kind of going like, like giving giving them the right usually to the coy face look. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and I mean, at the moment, I'm watching Discovery obviously once a week when it's on. Mm. Um, I'm also my mum and dad have recently just started watching Enterprise, and so I've been watching those like most evening. I, I watched them when they were on anyway, but. Um, yeah, the Vulcans are so so snobby in mm-hmm. that. I mean, it, the whole so it should instead of being called Enterprise, it should be called We Hate the Vulcans. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I'm getting a lot of weirdness from Vulcans at the moment mm. on both programs. So <laughs> I mean, with regards to the actual storyline, I'm enjoying the Star Trek Discovery storyline, mm. and that's to me is why I've probably stuck with it, even though I, I didn't really like a lot of the characters. Oh, well, there. you have to watch it anyway. Um, I like, I like, yeah, well, I would have ordered. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and um, but I like the storyline. I like where they've gone. I thought it was interesting. I do think that the spore drive sounds stupid. It does sound, but stupid. it looks amazing when it's used. I absolutely the first time I used it and the the saucer section was spinning and then it all flipped over and just teleported across the universe. I think that was great. I love that. And that shows clever writing. If they want us to swallow something so inherently garbage, mm. give us something shiny to look at. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't when I actually think about it though, I don't think it's as crazy as it seems when you consider a lot of the other things that the one Star Trek. And I've already I think I might have already mentioned it today when I was talking about the expanse, but gravity plating something mm. that I've, I've always had a problem with. Um Well if we're gonna start analysing no Star Trek it's for science it's gonna fall apart. But well th- this is it. But Spore Drive isn't as crazy isn't cr- crazier than the rest of it. It is a very different idea mm. though. And when Stammons was um explaining it's like it's well, physics as biology mm. or something. I think that's really good because when everything is made of like fundamental quarks and spores are so small. And once you get so close to Planck's mm. constant, loads of weird stuff does go on. And um, yeah, just this idea that there's life forms that can kind of travel that. I don't think it's. Um, yeah, I like that idea with Alpha like the uh, the Ripper creature. Mm. That he, he was an interesting giant uh, water bear. Yeah, it he was, was interesting. Cool. Uh, I felt sorry for him, but he was interesting. Uh, but yeah, I think because I mean with Star Trek, people think oh Star Trek it's scientific. It's actually a lot of the time it's not. It's no. just it's put across in a way that sounds. They scientific. use a lot of scientific words and uh, and concepts as well. Mm. They'll put them in, but there is. There's just so much um, craziness mm. with it because it has to. The ship has to, on the inside, be like a normal room that mm. you'd have on Earth, and uh, there's just so much you have to invent to mm. make, be able to do that in space. And also, obviously, there's transporters, warp drive. It's all outside of what we understand of physics, but they do actually spend a lot of time kind mm. of thinking about. What to, how it actually works in their universe, so mm. it's all right. But you just you just kind of know that it's going to be crazy. But I'm slowly, slowly starting to uh, be more accepting of Michael Burnham. I really like Shazad Latif as Ash Tyler. He's a yeah, really good character. Like I'm, um, not, I'm not too bothered about him. I, can I take quite like Tilly because I felt Tilly was more relatable. Mm. Um, there was just something inherently likable about Tilly. Mm. Lorca, at first, <laughs> I wasn't. That keen on the captain, uh, but I thought as it was time's be a gone, yeah, I I kind of had that feeling, and as time's gone on, I kind of he again seems to be slowly more 
relatable. And I think in the last episode particularly, without going into spoilers, there were a few instances where he, again, he started to seem more human. Yeah. And we started to warm to him a bit. Yeah, but and he, Doug loves, Jones is he loves sur- his ship. That's, that's the one thing you need about a captain. And it's just... I know I wasn't going to really be too bothered about characters, but I just know when he's on the screen, there's going to be interesting things said and done. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's what I like about him. But both Doug Jones, who plays Saru, Doug and Jones Jason well. Isaacs, who, who plays Captain Lorca, are both very good actors. Mm. You know, yeah, and brilliant. Can't fault them on that. So as time's gone on, I think because I've sort of stuck with it because of the, I, I, was, I like the idea of the story, mm. I've started to like Discovery more. I do think there's a lot of flaws in it, mm-hmm. but hey, there's going to be flaws in any show. Yeah. Um, but certainly not nothing enough that's going to put me off watching it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I mean, it's Star Trek. I was, I was. If they, if they'd slapped, if they'd slapped USS Enterprise on the side of a garbage truck and filmed <laughs> that for, for a few hours, I would yeah. probably watch that. You know. It is just a tragedy that I don't live on a starship and like there's more star trek is that i i just kind of just see myself there all the time it's that i'm just like on the i'm on the bridge at the side going oh how are we going to get out of this one one, <laughs> one of the things that someone said to me is like oh it's dark star trek i mean why do we want dark star trek star trek's meant to be light and i was thinking did you ever watch the dominion war seasons of deep space nine <laughs> well <laughs> it was got pretty dark at times for ds9 and for voyager well, in the Delta well Quadrant yeah, the but to be fair, Star Trek is was it well generally it's a, a very optimistic view of the future. Yeah. But obviously there has to be uh, drama and mm. and things in it. Um, I do know that DS Nine was started because it was getting a bit too optimistic for everybody, and they needed to have like, a darker series. So DS Nine is basically Star Trek at its dark darkest. You've basically got the so Kardashians. far, so far. Yeah, yeah, and this. Obviously, once uh, Battlestar was out, the the newer series of that, um, a lot of sci-fi kind of followed that that a little bit, that kind of style. And I feel like the Star Trek has had to kind of incorporate that a bit, mm. but not too much. I mean, I was watching it thinking, yeah, this is darker than normal for Star Trek. Mm. But like, if this was Battlestar Galactica... Like half the characters would have committed suicide by now. <laughs> There'd be all kinds of stuff going on. They'd be starving or something. Compared to um, some things like that and Stargate Universe, mm. for example, it's not. No, oh, the Stargate Universe. Um, but Stargate Universe. But the um, Stargate. But Sorry. I think Stargate Universe. Its darkness was what almost killed it, because a lot of people were tuning in expecting SG One, expecting witticisms from. A O'Neill Shepard-like character. Well, I'm just um, living in the UK. We get the aftermath of everything, and <laughs> we just find out like whether things got ratings or not, and had to get cancelled. And 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 uh, we hate Fox. Yeah, and we just have to live with the results. Yeah. So I mean, I I loved Universe, and um, I loved Universe. Yeah. It was a it was a tragedy that ended. So but... yeah, I see what you mean. It's um, not as dark as a lot of things, and. And I think that as well. I do think it is a very positive view of the future, but because humanity is kind of going out as explorers mm. and everything, it just so happens that they've started exploring too close to the Klingon Empire, and they don't like it. So. I think if you were a viewer and you were coming to this without any of the back history of Star Trek, I think you would probably like it more because I mean we've both got long histories with the franchise. We've watched you know all the we? different series and yes. we've enjoyed them all. Mm. Um, but that means that kind of for us, we can kind of look at it and kind of go, 
well, hang on, they're using technologies that are way beyond whatever they had in No, you do that. I, d- I just go with it. And, like, well, if this, you know, I'm kind of waiting for something bad to happen with the spore drivers to show why they're not using that in the future series. But they had to genetically engineer stamens for it. So. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not allowed to do eugenics. So. Yeah, things like that, you know. But There's a Khan Union Singh waiting in the wings. Yeah, but if you were approaching this without any knowledge of Star Trek before, you didn't know that it was meant to be this optimistic view. You probably, I think, would like it even more hmm. than someone going to it with, with all that knowledge. I don't know. I, I would still love to live on the Discovery, even... All the stuff they go through. Obviously, normally, like on the Enterprise and everything, there was a problem every week. Like mm. on the original sixties one, like you're flying along in your Constitution class Enterprise, and then a giant green hand grabs <laughs> the ship. <laughs> so that kind of stuff happens mm. in Starfleet. So um, yeah, I I've just been really enjoying having a new series of Star Trek, and I'm I'm quite happy with the kind of things that they've been doing with it. Um, I I loved. Um, seeing Rain Wilson as Harcourt Mud. I think that was great. Actually, yeah, because yeah, I really like that as well. Obviously, uh, if you aren't familiar with the history of Star Trek in the original series, um, Fenton Harcourt Fenton Mud was a recurring kind kind of a villain, but never a particularly I think serious he was in villain. Two. He was in Mud's Women, and then that one with all the flipping androids on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Fen- he was just a Fenton was a a really interesting he's like a, character. A con man. Yeah. yeah great. And it's kind of, when I knew that they were going to be bringing him into Discovery, I was kind of thinking, are they going to like take a character that I liked and ruin him? Mm. But actually, uh, Rain Wilson does an absolutely brilliant job in the one episode we've seen Mud so far of portraying Mud. Yeah, he's just portraying everybody, <laughs> wasn't he? Yeah. And... Faithful to the original character, mm. but with his own take on the character as well. Yeah, and I good. like it when people can do that. Uh, rather than just a complete recreation or something completely different. Very, very, uh, very likeable, very been, much a rogue. Uh, I've been trying to uh, watch it kind of in a vacuum and mm. not... Um, I've been trying to like not know anything about it before it's going to be on the TV. So I, was, yeah. I watched that episode, I watched that with my parents um, when it was on on the Monday. And I remember like... That's Harry Mudd, and it's Dwight. So I was, just, I was, I was really happy about that. It was a bit strange when they dropped the f bomb on Discovery, though, because that sort of breaks that with was, Star Trek tradition. That was kind of awkward. I hope they don't continue with that. That's kind of something thing, I hope they don't do as well. We don't want it to be edgy. We want it to be Star Trek. You have whatever dark stories you want, because. Like there always was, even in the mm. original trilogy, there would be ones where there was like thousands of people dying or something mm. like that. But I mean, we but the watch, crew we were always to watch the beacons of light. Yeah, yeah that's Starfleet it. was the yeah. beacon of light, facing the darkness, facing the evil. Yeah, you don't want Star Trek to become the darkness. Not that swerving is dark, but it's just a bit distasteful when you're watching it. Because like people could be watching it with their kids and mm. things like that, and it's just. It's just not necessary. I mean, who's going to think, oh, that's a much better programme now because they said the F word. Yeah. So, um, but, just grow up. Yeah. But we are enjoying it and we're looking forward to seeing the rest of I'm the series. the heck series. out of it. Um, how much of that have you drank? <laughs> I know, I do, I'm just having little sips all the time and it's just... Dude, is that synthahol? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. fine, it's fine. Yeah, it's I'm cool to talk on this. Yeah, <laughs> I can fly a shuttle pod. We are, as I say, we are enjoying it. and We are looking forward to seeing how it 
progresses, how it develops over the rest of the series. Mm. And Mud, as far as I know, is going to be in more episodes. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm glad that some of the characters they've introduced some more likable characters, and that some of the characters that we've seen have become more likable. But I'm just really enjoying the story, and the effects that they've used are absolutely brilliant. I love that nebula when she went out to try and help Savek, and he was lost in a nebula. It was all multicolored. That was cool. We haven't said how much Sarek is so annoying. Well, <laughs> it was always her. annoying yeah. in the original series, but he's just a much worse person than we realised. Well, actually, no. I was always surprised at what an idiot he could be. Like in the when he was first in the original series, and like. And Kirk was saying, "Oh, Spock, you might like to show show your father around." The oh no, he didn't know his father. Did he? you? You can show him around because you were another Vulcan, and mm. uh, he doesn't want to go around with Spock. He doesn't want to talk to Spock. And then Kirk later finds out that that's his dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's he is a ridiculously hard-hearted man. But we learn a little bit about why he had such a problem with Spock joining Starfleet in Discovery. Be- because yeah, in the last episode. Oh yeah, no spoilers. Yeah. I was about to drop a massive spoiler. Then. Yeah, don't drop the spoiler. It's not an F bomb. Don't drop it. No, it's almost as offensive. Yeah. So anyway, we love. I, I love Discovery, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what Episode Seven brings. And uh, yeah, it's just hopefully one day I'll get to live in space like they do. So, what do you think about Star Trek Discovery? Have you seen it? Are you planning to watch it? And if not. Why are you listening to this podcast? I'm sure you reckon something. Yeah, this is not a good segment for you if you hate all things Star Trek. So, but drop us a comment, let us know what you think, and come back at the end of the series and tell us what your final thoughts are, and I'm sure we'll probably have something to say at the end of the series too. Yeah, we should uh, maybe do another one of these of like how it develops kind of thing. <laughs> Discovery 2. Um, yeah. Or maybe we take it all back. That might be <laughs> that might be the title. <laughs> at the of end, it. at the end of the series, it may be Richard going there. I absolutely hated that. I can't believe they did that. Why have I been maybe. watching that for fifteen episodes? And yeah. I'll be there going, you know what? That was all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll need more synth to hold. Yeah. So stay medicine. The Meddlesome Meeples present music news and reviews in conjunction with Paradise Rock UK. Hi everyone. Welcome to Bard's Corner bit of information first of all if you haven't already seen or heard it please check out our interview over the phone with night rangers kelly keegi yes you can find that on paradiserock.co.uk you can find that on the meddlesome meeples youtube channel and you can also uh, listen to that via the bard's corner music news podcast some information on a new houston album houston 3 swedish airwire band houston will release their fifth album, Three, on November 24th via Livewire and Cargo Records UK. So, for those who are unfamiliar with them, uh, they've been around since 2010. They landed the number one spot in Classic Rock Magazine's AOR chart that year, and that was against competition from other bands like Unruly Child, Crash Diet, Heat and Nelson. So, this is one that you're going to want to check out. Uh, that's going to be out on November 24th. Uh, also, Bad Touch are uh, touring in November in the UK. Ahead of that, they've released a new single um, that's featuring Molly Marriott. You can uh, check that out. That's Baby Get It On. It's a, a cover of a 1975 Tina Turner song. And it sounds absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so 
they're also going to be starting th uh, their tour in November. That's going to be Thursday the 9th, starting at the Corporation at Sheffield, and that's going to be running through till Sunday the 3rd of December. So there's quite a few dates there, so you can check out all the information for that on paradiserock.co.uk. Um, now, Panorama, they are a new band. They've signed with European label Raw, sorry, Rock of Angels Records, uh, also known as Raw Records. So you can uh, t find out some information about that online. This is uh, produced, recorded, mixed and mastered by Dennis Ward, probably best known for his work with Pink Cream 69. But just to give you an idea of who the band is, because it is members of different bands, uh, Christian Palin is the vocalist from Randomize and Adagio, uh, Dennis Ward on bass from Pink Cream 69 and Unisonic, uh, Sammy Lasagne, Lasagne uh, on guitars from Gods of Silence, he used to be with Kirk and Godiva, uh, Ben Varon is at the guitarist from Amoral and Grease Helmet, and Philip Eichenberger, he's the drummer from Gods of Silence and Kirk. So members of a few different bands there um, that is due for release not not too long actually early 2018 so a little bit later than some of the other albums we've talked about but we'll bring you more information about that as it comes along Pride and Joy Music have uh, announced that they've signed Squealer and uh, now they were a German metal band they released seven successful studio albums between 1992 and 2008 but after 2008 uh, they disappeared they reunited in 2016 uh, with a new singer, Sebastian Warner, uh, and they're going to be releasing a new album via Pride and Joy Music. So we'll be bringing you more information on that soon. That album is due out on the uh, 20, February the 23rd, so a little, a little while yet. What reviews have you got this week, Matt? Uh, first off, we're going to be we're looking at Jeff Scott Soto's Retribution review. Now that's out on November the 10th. Now it's been 15 years since um, Jeff Scott Soto partnered up with Frontiers Records uh, for his solo release. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so they decided to make a album to celebrate that. That's titled Retribution. Now this is a very, very, very good album. It starts off um, with the title track, which is quite a heavy melodic rock song. Occasional feels of prog influence. Um, but all throughout the album, um, Howie Simon is fantastic on, on guitars. Some really good solos on there. There are two songs that he's not on. One's called um, Rain Again, I think, and the other one is a song for Joey. Now, on Rain Again, instead of... Yeah, it's... yeah we've been watching Friends, so... <laughs> <laughs> on Rain Again... Um, that's got August Sadra uh, from the Dennis de Young band on guitar and Stephen Sturm instead. But how is Simon other than those two songs? Um, song for Joey is Paolo uh, Mendonca, I think his name's pronounced. So I'm not sure how the pronunciation is that because it's slightly Portuguese. I don't so, think um, know the difference. <laughs> but the, the rest of the album, it's how is Simon on bass and guitar and yeah there's some really great songs on there my, one of my favourites is probably track 3 Rage of the Year um, Jeff Scott Soto's vocals sound absolutely great on there, some fantastic um, drumming as well as guitaring 
when I actually was listening to this album for the first time, I kept going back to listen to that song again and again mm. before I played actually finished the whole album. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> Rain Again was another one of my favourite songs on there. That one's a bit of a, of a slower uh, song than than Rage of the Year, but it's got one of those uh, like really feel good factors that you can imagine uh, playing as you're driving along the coast or something like that. <laughs> it's really good. Um, there's a there's three different ballads on there as well. Uh, feels like Forever is the first power ballad on the album. That carries a lot of emotion uh, through it. But then you've got Song for Joey, which again is another softer song, but no less powerful. Retribution then um, starts to get a little bit faster again. Uh, Breakout comes on. That's quite a fast-paced uh, song. There's uh, guitar solos in there, quite a heavy undercurrent. Um, but yeah, it's... I all... love the cover. Yeah, the the cover is very, very good. Cool. It's got some very good artwork on that. I was always really jealous you got to see him live as well. Yeah. Which, so jealous. Which time? <laughs> I've, seen what? Him, what? I've, I've seen Jeff Scott Soto live a couple of times. When? Once, um, once when he was doing a, a solo uh, gig and once as part of Wet. He's the oh, lead singer of that. Wet. When was that? That was, a, that was a few years ago. No, the solo one, but I didn't know about what. Yeah, so I've seen Just Got Soto a couple oh, of times. Oh, now I'm even more jealous, I think. Yeah, you. that's fine. You'll be jealous. I'll be, I'll be cool and you'll be jealous. <laughs> okay, I'm getting an evil look here. We're mature. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we are responsible adults. <laughs> we so, look after little people and everything. I really enjoyed this album. I've given it a 9 out of 10. You can read the full review for that on paradiserock.co.uk. It's pretty cool. I would say this is probably one of the unmissable albums of 2017. Jeff Scott Soto and Howie Simon together are absolutely brilliant. Um, there's a lot of guitar-driven songs on here, a few heavier tracks, but those are nicely balanced out by the ballads as well. There's plenty of feel-good songs, some really catchy songs. I really enjoyed this album and think that if you're a fan of Talisman, Soto, or Just Got Soto's other solo material, if you're, if you're a fan of Eclipse, Wet, uh, Pink Cream 69, House of Lords, then you definitely want to check out this album. It's probably going to make our top five of 2017 list. That's going to be out on November the 10th via Frontiers Music SRL. So be sure to check that one out. And next one, we've got The Dark Element. Yeah, now this is quite interesting. It's a new project uh, fronted by former Nightwish and Alison Avenue singer Annette Olsen alongside Finnish guitarist and songwriter uh, Jani from Sonata Arctica and Kane's Offering. Um, this is coming out on November the 10th. Now, I would say I enjoyed the first track on the album, but I wasn't too sure at first. Mm. It, got, uh, it started off with a bit of an electronica metal type feel as opposed to symphonic metal which is what I expected it to be. I was going to say it might be what you're expecting though because you heard her in Nightwish. And I'm and familiar with stuff. Sonata Arctica and Kane's Offering mm. so it was I, I was it was a different sound to what I was expecting to be honest but as it played through I actually started to quite enjoy that song but the, when the next uh, song came on My Sweet Mystery it felt like I was back listening to Dark Passion play again. Yeah. It um, sort of really took the album up a few notches in my opinion yeah that's kind of got um, that ring to it that kind of quality yeah, yeah. I know uh, Annette Olsen got a lot of stick from certain quarters so it's not a popular thing to say but I actually I really like the albums that she did with Nightwish mm. so I was, I'm quite in, happy to have an album with that kind of sound again 
Um, there's another song on there I really liked called The Ballad. Sorry, no, uh, yeah, Someone You Used to Know, The Ballad. That's got some really great vocals on that one. And uh, I like the way that the song subtly shifts from sort of piano um, and vocals to a more symphonic power ballad mm. sound. So I like that. Uh, Halo was another song I written. I quite like Halo, yeah. Yeah. And um, The Ghost and the Reaper. They still had some electronic influences, but they felt mm. a lot more symphonic um, than, say, I Cannot Raise the Dead, for example. So uh, there was a few on there. There's uh, a couple of ballads as well. Um, Heaven of Your Heart was a good ballad, uh, as was uh, Only One Who Knows Me. Again, very slow start. Uh, there's a couple of other really good songs on there. Dead to Me and Here's to You. Now, if you go on to paradiserock.co.uk and you uh, click on the album review, you'll actually be able to hear three of those songs because there's videos on there for My Sweet Mystery, Dead to Me, and Here's to You. All in all, I had to give this album an 8.5. There are a few things I wasn't too keen on. I didn't mm. particularly like the slightly lean towards a more electronic style as opposed to yeah. I think that's symphonic. more personal preference. It wasn't is, bad, it was is, just well, personal is, preference, wasn't it? Yeah. That is entirely personal preference. Um, but I really liked the album overall and I felt that in many ways it felt like the natural sequel to Nightwish's Dark Passion Play album. Mm. A couple of the songs on there really made me feel like I was listening to that again. So I would say if you're a fa- if you're a fan of Sonata Arctica, Nightwish, Within Temptation, Epica, Stratovarius, then this is an album you definitely want to check out. Um, I'd say, although she's had a bit of a break from performing, I think, Annette Olsen sounds as good, if not better, than ever. Mm. Um, so I was really happy with this album. This has probably been one of the best female-fronted albums I've heard this year. So I'm highly recommending that. That's, again, out on November the 10th. Uh, if you go on to paradiserock.co.uk, you can get... A lot more information on that. You can read the full review. So, what did you think to uh, any of these songs, any of these albums that we've been talking about today? Let us know. I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. Welcome to this segment of Tome Talk. Now, in recent weeks, we've talked about historical fiction we've talked about non-fiction mm-hmm. now we're bringing it back to science fiction yes and richard's going to talk to us not about this book but about this book's predecessor which is leviathan wakes by james s.a corey yes so we've Richard, had to tell have us a... about that yeah okay yep we had a we've got a stand-in book here which is caliban's war the second one but yeah i read leviathan wakes while i was away on holiday so i just had a, a week to kind of relax and just read this book it's quite long um, about, well, I can't remember how many pages, but um, it just pretty much flew by this book because it is so it has such a lot of pace in it um, and a lot of action, and it's a while since I've read such a a long book that had so many um, like surprising moments mm. that kind of kept you like wanting to read the next chapter all the time even though there's like I don't know 60 chapters or whatever so um yeah I really enjoyed that book and I thought I definitely have to talk about that in Tome Talk but I also thought at the same time um I think my sister would like it so (laughs) I passed it on to her when I got back from holiday so that's why it's not here it's because it's great and I needed somebody else to read it (laughs) so it's not and really Tome Talk is all about 
helping people to find reading recommendations. It so is. It's, it's yeah. in the spirit of Tome Talk, isn't it? It is really, yes. So um, you may have seen The Expanse on Netflix, and that is what this book series is. So um, the series itself is called The Expanse. The first book is Leviathan Wakes, and I think pretty much by now... They've, they've done series two on Netflix, so I think that will be the whole of that first book. Mm. Um, there is a series three commissioned, isn't there, as far as I know? Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. yeah I think that there is, yeah. So, um, yeah, I had watched series one by the time I read the book. and uh, Well, I started reading the book like a while after. I think season two was about to come out when I read it. But um, I soon noticed that I'd got to the middle of the book and got to the point where this series one ended so I thought oh okay season two is going to be <laughs> the uh, second half of this book so like we said it's uh, it's sci-fi um, it is fairly hard sci-fi so there's not much craziness in there although there's a lot of weird things that happen obviously and um, like I say a lot of action and a lot of uh, interesting things but the science is mostly very real um, when they're travelling around in the ships um, they are weightless in the ships there's no gravity plating like in Star Trek or anything <laughs> anything weird like that you are just floating around unless the ship's moving in which case you uh, get some kind of forces acting on you and they tend to when they're flying around in the solar system rather than say what speed they're going at they say uh, like how much gravity they get from the speed how many g's? fake gravity yeah. yeah how many g's they're pulling so if they're going to just kind of go quite leisurely it'll be 0.5 g um anything over one g is getting pretty weird and uh there is a certain speed at which they all have to strap in and the ship actually injects them with drugs <laughs> to make sure they well make sure the captain and pilot at least stay awake mm. And for everybody, make sure they don't get horrible blood clots and die. I do think that if you're travelling at such a speed that you have to get injections to prevent death <laughs> and to keep you conscious, yeah. I think perhaps we shouldn't be travelling at those speeds. Yeah, well, this is, uh, <laughs> if yeah, someone this says is to thing. me, you know, would you like a car that you can drive at 150 miles an hour safely? I'd go, mm. yeah, thank you. Yeah. If someone says, would you like a car that you're going to have to inject yourself with drugs to stay alive in? I, I, you know what? I'll take a taxi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just go to more leisurely pace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so obviously, it's only in like uh, military type situations where you need to get somewhere before someone else gets somewhere. So that's when they're going to be doing this. And uh, and if they're running away from a massive Martian battleship, that kind of thing, obviously. Um, having to have an injection is better than getting blasted into radioactive vapour. So. Well, <laughs> yeah. that is that. W- there are people that would disagree with you. Well, you just got to weigh priorities, really. And, and there are people that would rather die than have a needle. There are actually, yeah. So, yeah. if you're the only person on the ship, <laughs> no, I demand we all die instead of this. Yeah. I respect your right to refuse the needle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose you just have to get squashed in the chair at that yeah. point. Wouldn't you, really? so. so yeah. Um, it is all set within the solar system. Which is one of the things that's quite unusual about this, isn't it? Because yeah. most sci-fi is either on Earth, mm-hmm. contained on Earth, or quite a sprawling in- intergalactic travel type like, Yeah, like a you know, massive of, space empire or yeah. something. Yeah, but this is when we have... 
It's said on the, I don't think it says it on the back of this one, but on the back of Leviathan Waits, it says something like, um, we've colonised the solar system, but the stars are still out of our reach. Mm. And I think that's just a really good way of putting it. So it's mostly about mining civilizations that are in the asteroid belt. Mm. Um, particularly, most of it is set on Civis, which you may know is a quite a big asteroid there. It's of almost course, a dwarf planet. Of course yeah. who, who doesn't know that? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> and then there is some other quite ghastly action that takes place on another one called Eros. Now, and that sounds like somewhere where, where ghastly things would happen. <laughs> yeah, and actually, as I said, I, I, I gave the book to my sister and she texted me a few days ago and said um, she's had to put it in the freezer as a it's just a friend's reference obviously goes in the fridge basically when uh, when the books become a bit too harrowing <laughs> and uh, yeah she's at the point where they're on this other asteroid Eros and yeah it gets pretty grim at that point I'd actually forgotten how grim it got at that point and I said oh yeah sorry <laughs> but um, I'm sure she'll get over that and then uh, but don't be put off readers or, or I mean that's quite a good point actually but um it is like some people like a bit of kind of horror mm. as well. Um, it, it just depends how sensitive you are and everything. Like I say, does, there it, is, does this come with a trigger warning? I think it does on. The, <laughs> yeah, no, not on the back. It does anyway. Yeah, but um, no, no. If you, if you're used to kind of sci-fi and everything, it, it won't be won't be too bad. Or if you, uh, yeah, if you read kind of fantasy and things like that, it's just you, you never know what's going to um, be what different people are going to be particularly sensitive to kind of thing. But yeah, um, a lot of interesting uh, things happen to the main characters, one of which is called Holden, and he is the classic kind of... Well, I would say the classic kind of space hero. He is basically the hero of it. Mm. He's a, um, He is very strong in his opinions of what's right and sometimes ends up screwing up the whole of the solar system because of it, <laughs> you know. Um, it's more of a, an idealist yeah. rather than... Um, what's practical yeah rather than a pragmatist the other main character miller is a private investigator well no no he's an actual detective that's it and but he's kind of got obsessed with this one assignment so he just seems like a very hard-boiled pi kind of guy um who drinks a lot and uh, talks about his ex-wife that kind of thing and it's just very interesting to have that kind of cast nathan fillion for that role (sighs) no surprisingly but um no, he would have been way too happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it's just interesting to have that kind of character in space. Uh, that's one of the things I really enjoyed because mm. obviously I first I first found out all these things from watching the series, mm. and then in the book, obviously it's a bit more detailed. So, but... did you where, where did you come to this first? Was it through Leviathan Wakes or through the TV series? The TV series, yeah, and I saw that on Netflix. How do you feel that the TV series stacks up with the book? And do you feel that if someone you know, has watched the the TV series that it's worth them reading the book or vice versa? Um, I definitely think it's worth reading the book um, because I know often people will say the book is better kind of thing. I just think the book is, a, the themes are a little bit clearer in the book. That's all I'll, I'll say really. They did really well with the TV programme, I thought. Um, obviously they had to change a few things to make it visually like doable basically um, you mentioned to me before that one of the things that was different was the way that uh, one of the races particularly Holden's race oh no no sorry it's Miller Miller's, Miller's race yeah so different. he grew up on Civis 
well, in the asteroid belt anyway. So in the TV series, they've got it that he grew up in a bit of gravity, I think. So he's not quite as tall as the belters normally are. So these people are still human, but they grow up in zero gravity. Uh, obviously, they, they consider themselves to be a completely different culture. But yeah, there are some of these people in the TV series, but obviously they look very strange. I think they've had to use CGI for it. And it would be very weird to have a main character like that. So Miller is... He does look a bit more... He just looks like a normal guy, really. He is quite tall. So what you're saying is that when it comes to depictions of male characters, body image is more accurate, rather than the tall, willowy... Uh, yeah, yeah, I've forgotten what you... Yeah, yeah. I'm so trying to follow if, that, yeah. If, 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 it was a, if it was a woman, it would have this totally unrealistic depiction based on the books, but because it's a man, mm. he gets to look normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, um, no, I think... <laughs> Actually, actually, coming to think of it, I don't think, I don't think you could get um, any actor to look like the Belters are described. Um, I think you would have to do it with weird, painfully kind of... tall and thin. Yeah, you're not yeah. you're not a football fan, but Peter Crouch. Yeah, that's, that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a point in the book where they, I think it's where Miller is wondering if Holden's going to punch him or not, and he, he's kind of thinking like, I've got. I'm like a foot taller than this guy, but he's got like 30 pounds on me, kind of thing. So at that point, I thought, how flipping tall and thin is Miller? That's ridiculous. But um, And does he yeah, want to work for Victoria's Secret? <laughs> yeah, I think you, you have to watch the series to see how extreme these, yeah. <laughs> these belters actually are. But yeah, th- this is the other thing. When I say about the themes being clearer in the book, the book is set entire, almost entirely out in the belt. Um, there aren't any scenes on Earth or on Mars, which are the main two inner planets that they're kind of that there's tensions between them and and the asteroid belt. So you do kind of get a sense of like the belt is kind of disconnected mm. from their origins back on Earth and from all the uh, newfangled stuff on Mars. And yeah, they tend to talk about people having grown up down the well, which is like down the gravity well, and they just can't really understand the the point of view of people that have never had their air and water for free mm. as they live in the belt and um yeah that comes across very clearly in the book i remember being a little bit confused about what people's motivations were when i was watching the series so because there were some scenes set on earth and it just uh, there's a few characters that are in this book that they have like in Leviathan Wakes in the uh, in the TV series, so they've kind of mixed it up a little bit, which is fine. And um, some of the, one character that I really liked in Leviathan Wakes was Amos, and he is this um, engineer who is very competent, doesn't talk much, but you give him well, he swears a lot actually, but you, you give him a uh, ask him to do something, he'll just do it, mm-hmm. whether it's can you fix that thing over there or can you abandon us all and just take that ship away? Like he, would, he would just say, I captain and just kind of do it. And you kind of like him as, as you go along because mm. like, he is so reliable and everything. In the book, like he was just kind of like that. In the series, they've got it where he is kind of fiercely, lo- fiercely loyal to this, I think it's Lieutenant um, Naomi. So they kind of get the same kind of character but like in a different way. And I think it's... Uh, I think that's kind of good. It's kind of a little bit of a shortcut in the series, I think. But it, uh, I think that works really well. Um, so the kind of things that end up happening were very unexpected. 
I thought, in The Fighting Weeks. And with it being such hard sci-fi, I didn't expect there to be quite so many crazy 90-degree turns in the story. Mm. So I just think if somebody wanted some hard sci-fi, but also kind of epic as well, Mm. I think that Leviathan Wakes would be a very good book to go for. It is a space opera, but as we've said, contained in the not too incredibly distant future. Yeah. And I think it does really well at having a sense of what it's like to actually exist in space because they haven't really civilised it yet. Mm. But it's far enough in the future that there is a lot of interesting stuff happening out there. I mean, it's not like just like... Well, obviously, it's... It, the Martian is good, but like it's just that's one guy on Mars. But this is um, like there being civilizations, terrorist organizations, and things all out in the solar system, and really you get an appreciation of how vast it actually is. You tend to think of like oh, there's so many planets in the solar system. I'm not going to get in the controversy of how many planets. I know that's a sore point <laughs> for some people. That's but... quite touchy for some people. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, d- just the amazing dis distances like where you are having to fly at like 5g speeds for weeks to get from the asteroid belt to the nearest planet i mean mm. just thinking of those kind of distances when you've, you we're used to watching star trek and they just kind of zip between places because they've got warp travel but like yeah it's um it is a very interesting read and i think people enjoy for one thing the setting mm. but also the actual story of kind of conspiracy and characters but all trying to do things that are what is right but in different ways one of the things i was going to say about miller perception. is that their yeah their perceptions right. that's it so holden's a very idealist character miller is very pragmatic and that kind of a clash is very interesting i think and also oh. they they alternate between that the chapters alternate between these two characters so for a while, they're in completely different settings, but when they meet up, it's quite interesting because like there'll be a scene that's from Holden's point of view, and then maybe halfway through a conversation, it kind of changes chapter, and then you get the second half of it from Miller's point of view, and you're thinking, like, what's this little guy on about? <laughs> like, it's, it's quite fun. interesting when that things like yeah, that. Yeah, that kind of thing. So I thought it was quite interesting writing. So I am looking forward to reading not only Caliban's War, but... The other, I, I kind of assumed it was a, a trilogy, but mm. actually <laughs> there are a lot of these books. I'm looking forward to um, taking my time with them, really, and just um, enjoying this this kind of universe. I say universe, this solar system they've <laughs> invented. And I'll be interested if they actually do get to any other stars or anything. We've done enough books, so maybe. So there we are. Richard's recommending this one. James S.A. Corey, Leviathan Wakes. Leviathan hits the snooze button. (laughs) We've been expecting you. And joining us today, a very special guest. So joining us on the phone today, all the way from Arizona, we have a very special guest indeed. Kelly Keegi, lead singer and drummer for Night Ranger. And we're going to be discussing with him topics including Night Ranger's 12th studio album, Don't Let Up, songwriting, having two lead vocalists in a band, his solo material, and some excellent questions submitted by fans about topics such as Ozzy Osbourne, Boogie Nights, and Sister Christian. So Kelly, a huge thank you for joining us, and welcome to our show. How are you doing? 
I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good, okay. I'm doing great. Working on some songs in my studio here at home in uh, Arizona. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. I'll definitely be asking you about that later. I really wanted to talk to you, start off talking to you today about the uh, Don't Let Up album. It's your 12th studio album, released in March, yeah? How are you feeling about the response to the album so far? Well, I think that um, every time we go in to do an album, you know, um, you just, you kind of like anticipate, you know, what it might be, and, you know, sometimes you, know, um, you just, I'm not sure, because if you do album, you know, like every two, three years, you know, you have to really think about what you want to write about, and, you know, it's kind of a little bit complicated and can be a little touchy, you know, because if you do too many albums, then it's like, you know, you don't have a lot to say musically or uh, lyrically. But yeah. I think that we've been lucky on the last three albums to, yeah. to, to, to be inspired and you know, we got some new players in the band, you know, Kerry Kelly, and of course, you know, you know, Eric Levy's been in with us for a while, and so all those elements seem to be working really well together, you know, um, as, as well as, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, technique that we've been uh, using uh, to start albums on the last three records has been Jack and I and Brad going to a room and with no, like, you know, basically no songs written like we used to do in the past, we would come in, we would just go in a room and just start to, you know, kind of jam around with, you know, with uh, different feels and ideas and musical ideas. And then we, you know, we, as long as we stayed at it for many days, we would be at the end of the week, we'd have, you know, half the album. And then, so the last three albums, that's what we've been doing. So it's been a pretty fast uh, process then of, of getting together and getting the material down. We've been very lucky, you know, and, and, and it's a little bit different every time. You know, just spending on three, two or three years in between doing them, it depends on what everybody's listening to and, you know what I'm saying, more, more older music, blues, you know, yeah. R&B or, or more modern music. We just, we love to mix all that stuff up, you know, so... Um, it's just been really, it's been really great for us. Because you, you you said that uh, working on the material for the new album, "Don't Let Let Up," was a great experience once again. Is it? Do you find it's this is normal to be able to get together and and just connect like that and just start writing together, almost off the bat? Yeah, yeah. It feels it feels pretty pretty natural. Um, the last you know ten ten years of to always be thinking in the future, like, what do we, you know, after touring, you know, when we're touring, it's nothing to do with creating, mm. as, as far as, like, a uh, new material, it's about creating something special on, on stage, and mm. for live, and for the audience, and all that, so it's a whole different thing, you know, but when you come home after tour, you know, you, with us, it's like a couple of weeks, and then we start getting antsy, like, okay, you know, shouldn't we, like, be, like, you know, working on some new ideas, and, you know, so that's, that's when we start thinking about getting together after the holidays and stuff like that, so, I'm working well. That's brilliant, that's brilliant. Do you know when you're coming together like that and you're writing the material, do you find that you, uh, as you're putting the material to together, that you have a, a favourite song on that album, or is it like picking your favourite kid, you know, something you can't do? do you... I think what it is, is a lot of the times, you know, with songwriters, it's like whatever you're currently writing, becomes your favorite, right? 
But then yeah. as you get deeper into the process, you know, you start, you start, yeah. well, you know, interchanging that with other stuff. So, I mean, some of the earliest stuff kind of, um, you know, we, we got the, you know, the, the attention away from it because when you get to the end of the album, you always look at the list and go, what do we need? Do we need anything like a ballad? Do we need, you know, more, you know, up-tempo tunes and stuff like that? So you start focusing on that. But I think the, the early material that we wrote, the first four songs that we wrote were like, um, were like the, the first thing was like Jamie, and then, and then it was like, then we went into, uh, what was it? Long days journey home in a hurry. A really up tempo um, song, you know. Then we went to the ballad, you know. Nothing left of yesterday, and then it was uh, one other one other tune. So the first four songs were like really special to us. We were like, "Ah, oh, this is great!" You know, "Oh, we're running out of time." There's another one. So then we ended up putting them on this live thing we did in Chicago, you know. I have to say that Running Out of Time it's probably the most infectiously catchy song I've heard in a very long time I, when I first got the album through that song was stuck in my head for weeks it has one of those like hooky little, little choruses poppy you know but with great guitars and mm. it basically sounds Night Ranger yeah that sums up Night Ranger doesn't it um, I wanted to ask as well you know when you've got a band with with two very talented lead vocalists and you're coming together to write the material for the album, how do you decide who's going to take the lead on which song? Is it a case of, well, you sing this one, Jack, and I'll, I'll sing that one? Or is there is there a lot of factors to consider as to who does the lead vocals on each song? You know how it's worked in the past, and we, you know, I mean, we always joke about, you know, because people ask, ask those questions, Pretty often, you know, and we, you know, we always make a joke about, you know, you know we bring up, you know, the, the boxing ring and see who's ever fit that that day, you know, but, but you know, that doesn't work. It, what it is, it's just a, it's just basically, you know, mm. off the cuff, you know, it's like whoever um, has, has the, has the inspiration for it, you know, because we let mm. each other try them, you know. And, and we're really open about, you know, um, you go out there and try it, and then if it doesn't work, you know, nobody gets upset, like, oh, man, you know, I wanted to sing it. Yeah. It's none of that. It's like, what sounds best? And we've, we've been playing together long enough to where it's totally cool, you know. Everybody's like, let's do what's best. And the, and the good thing is, is that we do have two vocalists that we can have, you know, a different perspective on stuff. And it's, that's, a, that's a pretty... Plus, pretty big plus Does it ever affect the writing? You know, when you when you're putting a song together, do you think, well, you know, if if I might be singing this one, I'll maybe take the lyrics uh, in this direction, and if it, I'm right, you know, you ever write with Jack in mind and think, well, if Jack's going to be singing this one, I'm going to do this and take it in a different direction. You know, um, that, that's usually kind of the case. You know, Jack's got a little more edgier, you know, thing, and I'm I'm a little smoother, more R and B, and so we always look at it like that, phrasing-wise, mm. you know, because we're always, always usually writing the music first, we right. come up with the melodies and the, and, the, and the instrumentation first, and then, and then it's nice to have this, like, you know, this, this, <laughs> this, you know, painting that's started and it's not finished yet, mm. and you can sit there and just, and kind of like, 
you know, space out on it and figure, you know, well, what, what musically is, is this saying? And, you know, it's, it's interesting like that because, you know, I mean, sometimes it could be just something dumb that comes through and it's really cool, you know, depending on how you set it. So, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely like to look at each other's vocal styles and go, this is, this is better for you. I mean, you know, like on this album, I didn't see sing any ballads. It's great because I, I told Jack, you know, it's like you never sing ballads. How about you sing the ballad this time? You know? And I, I, you know, I, I take a back seat to that and not do it. You know, he's got a piano ballad on every album. You know, that's great because I mean, I imagine it could be if you weren't, uh, if you didn't have that chemistry to work together like that, that it it could become almost well, this is mine and I want to sing it. So it's good that it it, it doesn't become that. We like um, between you, you know, yeah. We, and early on, you know, I. Um, I think there was some really, like, um, kind of touchy moments when they had a producer involved mm. because we couldn't mm. make the decisions naturally and just be, like, you know, totally, like, unemotional about it. You know, back in the day when we had a producer and there was a big record company, you know, with, mm. with, you know, with all the pressure behind there, like, you know, we're going to have to suck it out and, you know, we've got to have this kind of song and this kind of song, you know, it was just like, you know, it was it was a little uncomfortable when the producer was making decisions for us. You know, and trying to take control of that creative side. So, I mean, mm. that's how that's that's how nowadays we we have a better time because we don't have that kind of pressure. You know. Good. Now you're coming to the UK in March, aren't you? You've got two gigs. You've got um, Hard Rock Hall at Paheli, um, and you're playing at London Shepherd's. Shepherd's Bush as well. Are there any plans in the works for more UK gigs at this point? Um, yes, yeah, there were some some dates uh, that were just tentative, like we're you know possibly uh, there's a Sweden Rock Festival, you know that we hadn't played in a while. We were you know uh, possibly, but I don't you know right now I, don't, I think those are the ones that we're going to focus on now mm. because um, you know we. We just want to focus on, on the UK right now because, you know, we love going over there. <laughs> you know, um, not that we don't like other countries, but, but we, you know, we especially like coming over there because we, we haven't had a chance to play there as much and I'm very excited. Every time we've played, you know, at the academy, it's just been like a riot. We have a great time, you know. And, um, so we're so happy about doing these two, yeah. two things, you know, in Wales and then in, in, in London. And, and uh, so I think we're just going to focus on those right now. Okay, so we'll look forward to seeing you uh, from in March for those. Now you mentioned that you uh, were working in your studio earlier. Uh, can you tell us what projects you're working on at the moment? Uh, for the last like two or three years, I've been I've been working on a, another solo record, and I have two, and and I haven't done one in like ten years. Night Range has uh, been pretty active, so I've just been kind of like you know writing. For this project, and um, you know, slowly, slowly getting it together, and, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, basically, you know, it's, it's the stuff is pop because mm. that's that's really what I'm about. I love pop mm. songs, you know, especially the earlier stuff. So I'm trying to focus on it for that. But um, you know, Night Ranger is probably going to have another record in the works probably in a year. You know, probably in a year and year and a half. So 
but I want to I want to kind of get this thing out of the way and, and uh, in the box in the next few months, and then I'll just have to see when it's going to be released. But yeah, I'm working on this thing. It's uh, really really good stuff. I'm really proud of it. That's exciting. I mean, I remember buying Time Passes. I think it was the day it came out here in the UK. I remember going around singing the Journey quite quite a lot at the time. Oh, that's great! We wrote that song in London too. Peter and I did. Is this that some of the songs on on that album could definitely have have been on a, a Night Ranger album, but some of them had a bit of a heavier feel to it as well compared to a lot of the Night Ranger stuff. It's it's kind of it's kind of weird when you do solo stuff because. I, you know, I, I definitely like the band, you know, the band thing more because it's, 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 it's a little bit like that. You don't have to, like, make all the decisions. <laughs> I mean, I would, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I have some good people like Jim Peterick and, and, uh, Joey Scott and Bruce Geist and people like that that I write with that are really close friends. So it kind of has that feel anyway. But, you know, there's nothing like the, Three of us, you know, Jack, Bob, and myself, getting in a room and, and, and uh, you know, thrashing through a couple of couple of great grooves, you know, because it moves stuff along really quick, you know. It's long run by yourself and solo, you know. You, I mean, you have to go through the whole process of, of writing it and then recording it, you know, and you have to get players or you'll have to slowly like build it, you know. Like I, I can play two or three different instruments, you know, too, and that's good enough to make it, you know. But then eventually I'm going to have to have it re-recorded by pros, you know. So that's that's why that process takes longer and more painstaking, you know. Because a lot of the guys uh, play, contributed to the solo albums as well, didn't they? Yeah, you know, they were on there and helped with writing. But you had a, as you say, people like Jim Petrick as well coming through. So there was it was quite an interesting mix of talent working on those albums. We love, I mean, we love mixing that. You know, it's great to work on each other's projects and stuff like that. And Jack was working on stuff, and you know he would come and work on mine, and you know it's just it's just really great fun to just be creative at that and not have any any of that competition, you know. It's like mm. it just kind of adds negativity into it, so it's better to be a team, you know. Now I just want to ask, thinking of your career so far, you've what would you say would be the proudest moment of your career, and conversely, what would you say would be the biggest challenge of your career so far? Well, I think that. But, uh, you know, when, you know, early on when our records were just coming out, the first two records, and they were being played all over, you know, in the way radio used to be, you know, mm. there'd maybe be three different rock stations in any given mm. town, and they'd be playing, they'd all be playing your stuff. Mm. And that was just like, that was just kind of like head spinning to us, you know, we'd be like, yeah, they're playing it on this station, and then somebody called and say, we're playing on this station too. I mean, it's like we just felt like a bunch of kids, you know? Yeah. And, and we were just, you know, so excited and happy to be out on tour, and then it was just a whirlwind, you know, it just took off. And, and then the, and then probably the, 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 the most challenging was when music changed mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the 90s, and, you know, we had to figure out other ways to, to, you know, to, be creative, not be creative so much as to get our stuff played, you know, because uh, people were moving on, which is natural, it's totally natural, you know. But, um, you know, we had to be happy with where we were at as, a, as songwriters and musicians and as a band. So, in that way, it was nice to have a challenge to, to come up with stuff that people wanted to listen to, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and keep our our um, our core fans happy, you know. Yeah. And keep us happy, you know, initially, you know. So um, you know, there you go. There's those two those two things. You've been in the music industry since you finished high school, haven't you? When did you first know that you wanted to spend your life making music, Kelly? Well, you know, I, I mean, started out in a, in a neighborhood that had I had a couple of buddies that were learning how to play guitar, and it was right around when the Beatles were hitting certain music. You know, I'm, I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty ancient, so I, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I grew up with all this like older music, surf music, Beatles, you know, some. Mm. And when they were first coming out, so we tried to emulate and copy them, you know. And that was when we were seven, eight years old. Wow. And I, I just have been playing, uh, music, you know, that long, probably, you know, 50 years of my life, 55 years, you know, and then I started playing professionally right out of high school. I started playing for, for my living. So playing six nights a week and jamming in clubs and, trying to, you know, just keep going. It's almost like you probably can't remember a time when you weren't making music or, or playing then, I imagine. That's, that's correct. I've always been doing music. People always say, you know, hey, what do you do for, you know, like a hobby or something like that? It's just, hobby? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's, all, it's all kind of like you're just engrossed in it your whole life. What would be your advice to, you know, someone listening to this, you know, young young kid in school thinking I want to be a musician one day when I leave school? What would what would be your advice to that kid? I think that, you know, um, what it is is you just have to have this, like, desire inside them mm. to just keep gnawing at you. It keeps, like, like, you know, waking you up and, and it keeps, like, uh, you know, keeps your, your brain occupied with the idea of, being creative, you know, whatever that is. And it's not necessarily just music, you know, I mean, you can be creative in all these other ways. And I think that's what it is, is you just have to have this, like, burning desire to want to keep doing what you're doing and no matter what. And I think that's what all of us did. We, we, it was so important that we couldn't do anything else, you know. So it's that, that persistence and dedication. That's it. That's it. You just keep wanting to do it, no, no matter how how good or bad you are, it's like sometimes you say, yeah, that's pretty bad, but I want to get better, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've got some questions here that people have sent to me. I've, um, I've men- mentioned that uh, I was going to be talking to you, so I said, you know, any Night Ranger fans out there, please send me some questions. So I've got some questions from your fans here, if, if you fancy giving these a shot. Uh, Carrington Martin says, as a drummer myself... I want to ask Kelly if there are any particular drummers that you looked up to growing up that inspired you, and who are your fam- favorite drummers today? Well, um, there's, some, there's some really great younger drummers out there, but I but I always tend to go back to the, the you know the older drummers that I grew up with, like Mitch Mitchell and mm-hmm. and you know Ginger Baker. I mean, those those mm-hmm. two those two drummers really kind of like pushed rock and jazz. And I always thought that that was like so interesting, you know, to me. Um, you know, basically to hear, hear a rock band playing swing was just crazy to me, you know. And then it just made me want to go and listen to what their influences were, you know. So, so those two drummers were definitely, and I, and I still go back and listen to them. I still go back and go, oh, 
you know, I want to check that out or whatever. Mm. So I would think that, that yeah, you know, those those few drummers, and of course, you know, the first singing drummers, Ringo Starr, mm. was, and, you know, I, I listened to the broadcast um, live in the Hollywood Bowl because I used to live in L.A. And it, um, the song called Boys, mm. and he was singing and playing, and I was like, I was like, okay, mm. I can do this now. You know, I think I can do this. You know, I want to try this out. Rebecca Weingart wrote in asking, "What is Kelly's favorite song to perform live?" Well, I think um, I think a lot of times, um, you know, the old the old standards that we play are are um, they've developed over the years, mm. so they become like even more you know, passionately mm. played and stuff like that. So. So, you know, some of those, the, the songs off the first two records, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you close your eyes and, and don't come to love me, just to Christine and sing away, those older ones are great. And then, you know, it's always, like, it's always whatever you're working on that's current, too. So we just came back from Japan and we mm-hmm. played, like, four new songs over there. And every night we like, put a new... You know, like two two new songs in there, and just to have the, the the audience reaction of of oh my god, they they know these songs, you know, mm. um, was was amazing, and so it made us every night just come to another level and play those new songs, you know, uh, as, you know as good as we could and possibly could. Mm. So yeah, I mean, running out of time, you know, that's a great one, and and um, you know. Um, I think that I think that when you're working on a new new album, you want to you want to make those those new songs special. You might be surprised. Several people wrote in regarding Sister Christian. Um, Vera Christina and Sean Riley wrote in asking, "Did you expect Sister Christian to take on a life of its own the way it did, particularly after Boogie Nights?" No, I I, I think that that when I started writing that melody, you know, because I started off with the with the chorus. And, and it was like, I thought it was just corny, you know. I just thought, oh, man, it's kind of corny and motoring. You know, everybody was like, what are you saying, you know? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's strong. It's like you're on a motorcycle, you know. Yeah. You're, you're driving in the car. That's all it is. And, and, then it, and then it became like this whole tribute to my sister. Who, her name is Christy, and I just wanted to kind of be like a big brother to her and that, you know, kind of give her a warning about growing up. Mm. That's all it was, you know. It was simple. Exactly. And, um, yeah, I had no idea that that would, you know, that would be the song that, that people, you know, recognize Night Ranger about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, it's really amazing. Cause especially, have you, have you seen the, um, the scene in Boogie Nights um, where they, they have Alfred Molina acting out uh, high uh, while Sister Christian's playing in the background. It makes for some very powerful viewing. And it really has taken on a life of its own, hasn't it? It's sort of almost beyond the band. You know, people who aren't even Night Ranger fans perhaps will have heard Sister Christian and will have seen it in pop culture, in, in films and things like that. So it, it it really has become this thing, hasn't it? It was wild. When, when that movie came out, you know, they sent us the script, and the script was totally, you know, just that for that that section. It didn't didn't make sense. <laughs> and then they actually put it together, you know. And we went, saw it in the theater. We were like, 
you know, back in the 80s, they were, you know, we did some pretty wild things when we'd be down there making records in Los Angeles. And, and, and that just seemed like that was like a chapter out of, out of you know, one of, one of the nights, um, you know, that we were in LA doing, doing albums. Yeah. Because we, I think we had been there. You know, we, uh, you go to the Peter's house, you know, I mean, you have, you, we just have mm. fun. We're not like junkies or anything, but, you know, back then it was, a, there was a lot of, a lot of drugs and a lot of stuff around. We, we were partaking, you know. But I, it seems like that was like, like somebody, you know, like watched us back in the, back in the day. Like, oh, I could see in the movie. Yeah, Semi autobiographical. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> it was like, oh my God. I can't believe they're doing this. You know, they stayed in Hollywood Hills and, you know, that was just like, oh my God, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've kind of answered the next question because Aaron Orsop wrote in um, asking what was the inspiration and meaning behind Sister Christian. Michael Schaffer also wrote in about Sister Christian, but he said, "What was Sister Christian's actual yeah, price for flight?" I know it's, it's <laughs> funny, but you can't really tell what the, what the song's really about. But you know, um, because like when we were actually like before I'd written any of the lyrics, and I was saying Sister Christian. <laughs> blah 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 blah, you know, and and, and I, I think that I think that the band was like, "What are you saying there?" Well, you know, I just want to, you know, and I said, "I'm just writing a thing about my sister, Christian." And they said, "They said, oh, I thought you said Christian." And we all kind of like paused and said, "I think it's better." Mm-hmm. Okay, so we used that, and and the play off of that even is even more mysterious, more mm-hmm. and, and cooler. So I mean, that's kind of you know kind of a license we, we take sometimes it, you know sometimes nonsense makes sense <laughs> I think sometimes because if, if, song, if a song may have a more of a vague meaning but it gives, gives people more chance to put their own meaning into the song and make it their own maybe that's one of the reasons why it has grown so much into popular culture because people relate to it in different in different ways I, I agree and I think that's the beauty of, of, of songwriting and music in general is that you don't always hear every lyric, and sometimes your imagination might might uh, you know draw another conclusion, mm. which is kind of cool. You know, in a way. The last uh, question that I was going to uh, share with you that was sent in to us, uh, T- Timothy Dillingham, he wrote in saying, "I'd like to ask Kelly what the mood of the band was when Ozzy hired uh, Brad Killis for his tour." So obviously, this is referring to uh, back in '82 when. Uh, Randy Rhodes sadly passed away and Gillis stepped in on the tour. Yeah, but he's, Timothy's asking what the mood of the band was at, the, at that time. Well, I mean, uh, um, we were we were definitely working, you know, um, on trying to get a deal. We had, we had, I, I think, four song demo out there with none of the hits on it. Mm. We had, like, you know, some of the, um, you know, because we wanted to be a rock band, we wanted to be recognized as a rock band. So we had demos out there, and and it was just kind of like, you know, that process when you when you your records being shopped for all this time, but you know, and it's dead, it looks like dead space, you know, and you're like, what's going on? And you know, we'd be writing songs, and then we'd take a break, and and it just happened to be right during one of the times when we were just kind of just sitting there, not not really doing any gigs. We had already written the, the songs and done some demos and had rockets. And uh, Pat Troll, who was playing with Pat Travers at the time, 
couldn't do couldn't do it. He got asked to to go and audition for Ozzy, and he couldn't do it or something like that. It was something to do like he already had a gig or whatever. So he turned turned them on to Brad, and then Brad was Brad and I were playing in this in this club band called the, the Alameda All Stars, mm-hmm. and the All Stars were just playing weekends, you know, and just doing covers. And uh, and so he got asked to fly up to New York and uh, go into you know go to a hotel and and audition for Ozzy. And um, the way Brad tells it, you know, as he went in there with his guitar, thinking he was going to like play with a band, and Ozzy was up in his suite, and he brought Brad up there and he sat on the bed while you know or sat on the floor while Brad sat on the bed. Without his guitar plugged in, <laughs> and just sat there and played, and Ozzy just sat there and just like with his eyes closed, and then just like just went, "You're the guy," or something like that. <laughs> and he like announced it to everybody. I'm finally the guitar player. You know, <laughs> unbelievable story. Wow. And Brad's like, well, "What are you talking about? You haven't heard me play." He's like, "You're the guy." Like, oh my God. <laughs> You know, he was just thrown into the fire like that. And, uh, and, and so then he finished the tour, it was like six months. We were still trying to get a deal. And then right at the end of the tour, when they got done, and then we had a couple of dates left, like a UK date or something like that. And they recorded that, that, uh, that, that live show in New York, you know? The Speak of the Devil. Speak of the Devil, that's right. And, um, and so, you know, all the, you know, they were going to take a break and then, and then, you know, two weeks after that, Pat Ross, our producer, called up and said, you know, we got a deal. You know, we did one. He's like, oh my God. And so Brad was home and we went right into the studio. Probably within, you know, two or three weeks, we went to the studio down to LA. We were in San Francisco. So the timing all sort of fell together perfectly then, really. Unbelievable. You know, unbelievable. When we were cutting track, Ozzy actually came came down to the studio to visit and said, came down and said hi. And that was the first time I saw him in his head shape. He walked in the room. Oh my god! It must have been. Uh, it must have been strange just there recording, turning around and seeing Ozzy there. Brilliant. Oh, oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, just finally, then Kelly, is there anything you'd like to say to your fans here in the UK? No, I just, I just. I feel like we're, you know, we're overdue for coming to play, um, you know, a day, and I'm so glad we're going to be playing a ship bush. I mean, that's just legendary to me to be playing this place, but I've heard some of the recordings come out of there, and um, and just, you know, the history that it has, and also playing with our with our good buddies, you know, um, Skid Row. It's going to be a fun show. We're going to have a great time, and I'm looking forward to spending some time in, uh, in London. It's going to be a great show. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us today, Kelly. And uh, all the best for the solo album. I'm really looking forward to hearing about about that when uh, when that comes out. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity. And hope to get to, to see you at the show. Man. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm planning on being there. Look out for us. I'll, I'll buy you a beer. Hey, thank you. Love it. Yeah. Thank you very much. So a huge thank you to the wonderful Kelly Keegi for joining us. A big thank you to his management and to Gary at Red Sands for setting that interview up. And we want to thank all of those who wrote in with questions for us to present to Kelly. We hope you enjoyed getting those questions answered. We hope you enjoyed the rest of the interview as well. Thank you. Stay meddlesome. Not long before you came here today, 
Um, there was something funny with Jonesy, uh, the cat. He is was, weird. He is weird. He's a very strange cat. Mm. Um, I posted a picture on Instagram of him the other day as well. Which was, oh, when he was broken? Yeah, on when, the chair. when he was broken. Um, <laughs> but, I always say I sleep on his back. Not long before you, you came round, Heather was just leaving. Mm-hmm. So I was saying bye to Heather and the kids in the <laughs> yeah, car. Yeah, it's because you're coming round. I'm... Bye! <laughs> <She's here. laughs> and uh, as, I was, as I looked up, I could see in the, the tree at the back garden, they've got a big tree there. Uh, Jonesy was like at the, right at the top of the tree and he was trying to stalk this bird oh. that was in the tree. Right. right. And he was watching this bird, but then while he was doing that, this other bird landed uh, behind him and started slowly <laughs> yeah, advancing him. on him and stalking Jonesy. Right. Which was right. But then I was saying bye to Heather, so I turned around. All of a sudden, Josie was just there on the floor, on the um, on the drive, walk, going past me, and he looked so miserable. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what happened with him and these birds, but it seemed like they definitely outsmarted him. So the situation resolved outsmarted itself in some him. way, yeah. and it didn't go well for the cat. <laughs> yeah. He looks weed killer. It doesn't he take much to outsmart him. Oh, yeah. he must have been tripping then. I mean, <laughs> yeah. who knows what those birds look like to him? Yeah. <laughs> he can hear fine. He's just yeah. too chill to care. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Uh, that was episode 18 of the Medicine Meeples. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please drop us a comment or an email. Let us know what you think and what you'd like. If there's anything you'd like us to discuss on coming episodes. What do you think of Matt's beard? Yeah, well, obviously they love <laughs> Matt's beard. Yeah. Well, I think, I don't know. My beard could be a very divisive factor. You know? Well, not everybody can just argue about who loves Matt's beard the most. <laughs> I just assume that's the kind of conversations that go on online. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd like to think that that's all that was happening in the deep, dark corners of Reddit. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. Yeah, there'll be a new subreddit about your beard. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, thank you for watching. And, uh, yeah, if you love... If you, if you like watching our opinions on things, then I am just very grateful about that. It's just really nice to know that people are interested in us kind of just chatting about these board games and stuff because yeah. we would be doing this anyway and it's uh, it's nice to do it and uh, where people can hear yeah it is and really? we, re- so, we, we yeah. appreciate this because the more I can talk to you guys the more peace Heather gets I know yeah she just looks so relaxed now. <laughs> yeah. nah, <laughs> no I just mean um, when you see thank, thank you for watching we really mean it yeah we really are appreciative of everyone who watches our videos or mm. listens to our podcasts uh, so please drop us a comment and say hi and uh, come back next week where we'll be uh, talking to Key Marcello so thank you and stay meddlesome farewell Questa and thanks for joining us If you wish to avoid the wrath of Greyskarn the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash themeddlesomemeeples or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples. Until next time, Questa, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.